This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival. Also via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app. This podcast is also available on all your favourite podcast platforms. Just search for Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast or go to our website warfradio.com. Coming up on this week's episode, we've got our regular segments, including the lowdown with Luana Williams taking a look at the uh, AFLW injuries. We've got AFLW Fantasy Football as we chat with Jack Hooper from Supercoach Talk and sheplays.com.au. Plus, our review and preview of AFLW Football in Coach versus Coach with Nicole Graves and Lisa, Coach Kiwi Roper. Also, on the way, we've got interviews with nine of the 12 VFLW captains that we recorded at the VFLW Media Day, which was held on Monday. That'll be coming up later on in the program. Also, as as well, uh, we had the WAFL women's season kick off this weekend, and we managed to catch up with Subiaco captain Tani Goslano. And we go up to the territory because we're ready for finals football. We've just completed the home and away season and Pint went through the home and away season undefeated and we're catching up with one of the Queen Ants footballers in Rennie Hicks. But first, the latest women's footy news. <laughs> First of all, there are question marks around round six, seven, eight, and nine of the AFLW season. This is due to COVID-19 restrictions and in particular the border at the moment between Western Australia and Victoria. Speculation in the mainstream media at the moment of whether the Fremantle Dockers and West Coast Eagles will again play the non-Victorian sides, essentially a double up, whether West Coast and Fremantle will go into hubs or whether Victorian sides will move to another state and go into a hub situation to try and accommodate the West Coast Eagles and Fremantle Dockers. Of course, we are still waiting for more information from AFL House, which at this stage has been releasing their fixtures on Sunday afternoons week by week. This has also created a knock-on effect with the VFL Women's Competition, which has just announced its Round 1 fixtures, and in doing so has also confirmed that they will be releasing their fixture week by week for the foreseeable future as they make accommodations for the AFLW. To the match review officer, the uh, big one that everyone's talking Talking about is Madison Press Parkers of Carlton. She, of course, is the reigning league best and fairest. She was charged with rough conduct, a dangerous tackle against Sarah Hosking of Richmond. Now, in summary, she can accept a one-match sanction with an early plea, but she elected to challenge. And as we go to air, um, that decision was being uh, considered by the AFL Tribunal. Uh, keep an eye on social media for the result of that. Should that be upheld, and Madison Press Parkers is rubbed out for at least one one game uh, that will rule her ineligible to win back-to-back league best and fairest. Other charges laid by the match review officer Hannah Dunn of the Gold Coast Suns was charged with making careless contact with an umpire. Uh, she can accept a reprimand with an early plea. Daria Bannister of North Melbourne was charged with engaging in rough conduct against Jordan Allen of Collingwood. She can accept a reprimand with an early plea and Bonnie Toogood of the Western Bulldogs was charged with rough conduct against uh, Lily Mithen of Melbourne and she can accept a reprimand with an early play to the NAB AFLW Rising Stars for Round 4. From the St Kilda Football Club, it's midfielder Tiana Smith and from Geelong, Becky Webster. And that's your latest women's footy news. The Lowdown with Loana Williams.
And it's time to get an AFLW injury debrief. That's why we have the lowdown with physiotherapist Loana Williams. Loana, how are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm feeling good, but I look at the injury list and it's starting to creep up again, unfortunately, during uh, round four. And I know it's something that we've covered off quite a bit um, throughout the year, but the knee injuries, which have always been prevalent in AFLW, seem to be coming back. Yeah, we had three of them over the weekend, didn't we? Which was quite, uh, wasn't great to see. Um, yeah, and I guess not really was really said about either, any of these injuries. So I think when we do hear knee injury or think of integrated ACL, that might not necessarily be the case. But there will be, regardless, there will be quite a lot of reviews, tests, assessments done this week to find out exactly what has gone on, what injury has occurred, what rehab's needed. And I guess, fingers crossed, that, it isn't an ACL and that hopefully uh, players are able to come back and play um, at least some games by the end of the season. That, of course, is for Shannon Campbell of Brisbane, Lily Postlethwaite also of Brisbane, uh, and Ashling Curl, uh, pardon me, Ashling McCarthy of the uh, West Coast Eagles. I think a lot of people saw that Ashling one and went, oh, geez, because uh, um, it was a case of a player falling across her and her knee went sideways. Let's just hope it's one of those rare occasions where it looks bad, but it's not bad. Yes, indeed. Fingers crossed. We've got some other injuries to try and uh, cover off. Um, obviously, Nicole Bresnahan, North Melbourne, Tasmanian Kangaroos, a bit of split webbing. We've touched on that in the past. There's not much really in the physiotherapy space to, to do with the split webbing. We're more talking about just getting some stitches. But there is two that um, I am concerned about. I want to talk about, first of all, Ali Drennan from the Gold Coast with an ankle injury and how serious they can be. Because uh, ironically, um, just the other day, I was talking to Frankie Hocking, who was the uh, co-captain of the Southern Saints and the VFLW and I remember her doing a serious ankle injury a couple of years ago, back in 2019, and, th- and that essentially ruined her season after that. So can you guide us through um, the type of ankle injuries and you know how serious can they be? Yeah, so they, they can be quite serious. I guess, um, as with most injuries, they do occur across the spectrum. So there are a number of structures that can be injured in the ankle. The first could be ligaments, and when we have just a very mild sold ankle, that is what we've tend to do. We tend to cause a bit of damage to one of the ligaments in our ankle. But there are also tendons, there are muscles, and in really serious injuries, you can also uh, fracture bones too. So depending on where you sit along that spectrum, it's going to depend on really how much time that you do need to have off. So minor injuries, those who are lucky to have one of those, maybe just a, a couple of weeks off, just a short period of time, small amount of rehab make sure that the strength's there, you've got enough stability to go back and play again and then maybe some tape and you might be okay relatively quickly. Those who injure themselves, unfortunately, at the most serious end may need to go into a moon boot just to give the structure some time to heal and then that's going to obviously have quite a, a longer time to recovery. If you think about the fact that you're in a moon boot for a period of time and then on top of that, the needing of the moon boot suggests that it's a more serious injury, so more rehab and longer to enable yourself to return to match fitness. Uh, what are we talking about typically with time frame when it comes to um, the ankle injuries, particularly, as you said, those that, you know, there, there could be a fracture or, you know, could be spending time in a moon boot. Uh, typically, how long are we talking away from, uh, first of all, even physical activity, being able to run normally? That's going to be guided really by how long you need to be in the moon boot. So that could be, it could be a short period of time. Maybe it might only be two to three weeks, but if it's something that's quite serious and it might need to be longer, it might need to be four to six weeks. So that will be the first 
period of time. And then following on from that, that rehab is going to look at things like strength. Um, you, oh, you would imagine that there will be a loss of strength from that perspective. And then stability is also something that's quite important in ankle recovery as well because once you've injured your ankle once, it is quite susceptible to being injured again. And so that can sometimes, and that sometimes can be a component that takes a really, really long time. And it's sometimes it's the stability that um, is looked at in sort of like that last little bit of rehab is sometimes the issue when it comes to, to getting back onto playing again. And sometimes that also explains the large medical tape bill for some football clubs oh, yes. and the amount of footballers and the amount of ankles that get taped up. Yes, most definitely. Another thing that also gets taped up, as we see, it's almost a trademark for some players, is the shoulder. And unfortunately, we did have a shoulder injury on the weekend, uh, Celine Moody of the Western Bulldogs. Can you talk us through that? Yeah, so the shoulder is a really complex part of the body. It's actually my favourite joint to treat. But there are quite a number of things that go on in the shoulder, which makes it susceptible to a number of different types of injuries. So I don't really want to go ahead and sort of... um, go and pre-diagnose this but it, I tend to think of shoulder injuries in sort of two different types of areas so you've got trauma which can be dislocations fractures on occasions it can be torn muscles and ligaments if it sort of occurred from a, an instantaneous type injury and then you've also got um, an overuse injury and that is as exactly what the name suggests the shoulder has been overused so torn muscles and ligaments can also occur sort of micro tests and also occur if you're overusing a shoulder in a a certain situation. So I would imagine that you wouldn't see a whole lot of overuse injuries in AFL, but I I could be completely wrong about that. But they tend to occur in sports where you have quite a lot of repetition. So baseball pitches are quite prone to overuse injuries. And then other sports, such as um, perhaps tennis and maybe cricket, where there is quite a lot of shoulder movement over and over again in the sport is a sort of injury. The sports where you are perhaps would see an injury like that. So how do we try and uh, treat something like a, like a shoulder injury? Because um, unlike the foot, which is, you know, uh, typically stationary, pointing to the ground, et cetera, and our kicking motion, of course, with, with the shoulder, when it comes to football, for example, we're either tucking our shoulder in and we're, and we're wearing a bump. And then, of course, there's the other movement where we're reaching out to try and pull in a chest mark or we're reaching up to try and take it a chest mark. You think about the, the movement of the arms and, and the shoulder area and the, and the multiple use that we need it for in football. Um, how do we go through that rehab process to be able to do all those actions? Oh, yeah, for sure. And we actually use the shoulders quite a lot just in day-to-day life. Um, so if the injury is, we'll start with a, a trauma example. If, you, if there is some trauma to the injury, so perhaps a fracture or a dislocation, might need the shoulder might need to go into the sling for a period of time and that's going to allow the injured structures just a bit of time to heal. Following on from that, once you've come out of the sling, if it is needed, then looking at perhaps if there's any stiffness in the region, if you um, we find that when we sit with a, a joint or a sit, stand, whatever, have a joint in one position for an extended period, it is going to get stiff. So having a look to see if there's any stiffness but also having a look at the muscles around the shoulder. So are they what's happened in terms of strength and what's happened in terms of function. When the shoulder moves in any direction, there are a number of different muscles that are working in unison to allow the shoulder to move. When that's happening without any issues, so none of the muscles are really injured and they're all seem to be working the way they should be, that's when you have normal movement. So you're not going to have any pain. You're not going to have any stiffness. But however, if 
some of these, in, if something happens to one of those muscles, so perhaps they become tight, they might become fatigued, uh, microtrauma, like I mentioned, if it's, um, you have to do an overuse injury, or in the case of um, a fracture or a dislocation, if you've got collateral damage of some structures around the shoulder, then you're going to have that system that is in place to move the shoulder is going to break down in some way. So what the physio would do in that, in that instance is they would have a look at find what's going on. Why isn't the shoulder moving? Is it a matter of stiffness that we need to work through that? Is, or is it a matter of there might be some muscles that aren't strong enough or that aren't working functionally to enable the shoulder to move seamlessly? Again, that uh, shoulder injury for Celine Moody of the Western Bulldogs. Now, we should mention that with the lowdown with Luana Williams, our AFLW injury debrief, it won't be every week we will be obviously explaining what the knee does and how it rehabs and what the shoulder does and how it rehabs because obviously we can go through that so many times. But uh, Luana, this is a bit of a question without notice, but um, I believe you're hoping to get some guests over the the, the coming weeks and and people to speak to that, particularly in physiotherapy and, and that side of the game. And and what are you, the things are you hoping that we can learn from them? I think this is a great opportunity, really, to be able to just explain what physio, and I think as well as sports medicine, I think there are some injuries that, that are out there that perhaps physio isn't as heavily involved in. It's an opportunity for people to hear about what goes on and what's happening in the world of AFL, the things that are happening in relation to sports. And just um, for people to be able to hear what different professions might be doing and also perhaps for people to hear about, I'm very much talking from what could perhaps be from a medical perspective, but what also might be happening from a player perspective as well and, and what that process is like for them too. And we certainly look forward to that over the coming weeks. Luana, thanks once again for joining us on your show, The Lowdown with Luana Williams, and we look forward to your company again next week. Thank you very much. She plays AFLW Fantasy Football Podcast. It's now time to take a look at the sheplays.com.au AFLW Fantasy League. We're four rounds in. How's your side going? Have you got a stable core? Are you just madly throwing players in and out left, right and centre to try and save your season? The man on the line to help you is some Supercoach Talk and sheplays.com.au. It's Jack Hooper. Jack, how are you? I'm well, Peter. How are you? I'm uh, a bit so-so after this round. Uh, round four, I end up scoring 2,022, and my overall position on the uh, leaderboard at sheplays.com.au is still stagnant at 10. Well, that's still pretty good. Well, the uh, leader at the moment, of course, is Stephen247, who scored 2,128 points for the round. Not the highest score, but still retains position on top at 8,689. Tomahawk second, break for the border is third. Let's start taking a look at player by player, some of the absolute guns, and maybe some of the suggestions that we went with last week that didn't quite pay off. And let's first of all talk about some are calling the GOAT, the greatest of all time when it comes to uh, the AFL women's competition. The Adelaide Crows Premiership co-captain for 2017-2019, Erin Phillips. How did she go in the Crows win over the Lions? Pretty well, just 260 points. <laughs> yeah, just a lazy 260 points. And you do you just want to rem- remind everyone how much they can buy her for at the moment in the sheplays.com.au AFLW Fantasy League? Off the top of my head, I believe it's $40,000. Is that right? That is correct. The, the the better players, when we talk about the likes of Ebony Marinoff, Kiara Bowers, at 60000 She is a 
bargain at 40,000. Absolutely. Get her in. Averaging at the moment 200 points per game. So anyone that had her in the side will be smiling. I did. Anyone who had her as captain will be absolutely gloating. But let's talk about the younger players as well, because there's been a bit of debate during the round about the youngsters coming through and some of the older types who have also been having stellar rounds. Before we go to another oldie, we go to a NAB AFLW Rising Star nominee for this week out of St Kilda. Her name is Tiana Smith. There was a lot of raves about St Kilda's win on the weekend, and I tell you what, she delivered when it came to fantasy points this week. She did indeed, 207 points. That is big. 207 points there for the Saints this weekend. For those that got her in, worth $30,000 for those that want to add her to the site. But for those that have been going steady, and let's rattle off a couple of names here. Kiara Bowers, uh, Brianna Davey, Elise Parker. All, if uh, we look at the round four results, all around the same points and delivering consistency for those that have got her in the sides. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Kiara Bowers is an interesting one because because of the way she plays. So she wins so much contested ball and lays so many tackles that all she really has to do is turn up and do her normal thing. And she's got kind of probably about 150 points baked in. And then any ball movement or scoreboard impact on top of that is really a bonus. And so that's why I think Kiara Bowers is uh, so consistent, why she has such a high floor as well as such a high ceiling. And also you're throwing Brianna Davey at the moment, 204 points. Elise Parker, who we've been talking up, 202 points. They seem to be, for those that have got those players on the side, the good core players that you don't want to move on during the year at any cost. Yeah, yeah, I I would not be moving any of them on if I had them. Another interesting name, um, and I guess it takes patience for, for for those that have got this player in their side, is Monique Conti. If you want to actually go through her transition from her round one score to her round four score, and just quietly, um, particularly at $55,000, there's probably quite a few that might have dumped her after round one, but those that have stayed true are now maybe starting to see the dividends in round four. Yeah, yeah. She's gone, she's gone up steadily each week. She started out, started out with 98 in round one, which might have disappointed a few people, but then went up to 126, then 139, and then finally 198 on the weekend. Um, so if you'd held her that long, you would be you'd be doing pretty well. One of the skyrocketers of the week who wasn't really doing much in the fantasy points stakes and was a gamble at $35,000 being classified as a midfielder. Of course, she started really in the forward line for the GWS Giants on the weekend is Cora Staunton, or as their teammates nickname her, Scorer, for the four goals that she kicked on the weekend. Um, can you go through her scores? Because it looks like, you know, she, she was having a pretty quiet start to the year and then boom, round four. Yeah, so round one, she scored 44, then went up to 99 the next week, then back down to 43 then. On the weekend, went up to 160. Um, so one thing is that it helps that she was in a winning team uh, for once. I think, although they won the previous week, didn't they? And then she's got the 43, but... She's got 86 points on the weekend for the scoreboard impact. Um, so that's things like kicking goals as well as being involved in other people kicking goals and things like that. So, and then she's got, she's done pretty well for ball movement too. She's got 40 points there. So that, that may be things like sending the ball inside 50 
if she's playing a bit further up the ground, uh, that can score well. And then she scored more modestly in the other cut, other categories. But yeah, it's, that, it's getting on the scoreboard is what really pumped her score up this week. I'm interested to see how Rebecca Webster went. Now, Rebecca Webster, defender of Geelong, was the other uh, NAB AFLW Rising Star nominee for this week. Um, her name doesn't pop up that much simply because Geelong have been losing. They have not won a game so far this season. And it seems to be, I guess, the players in the losing side that is hampering the uh, value and the points. It certainly can do. It can do. I mean, there are players like Elise Parker, who seems to be just unaffected and score her, her scores are 200 every week, um, regardless of whether the Giants win or lose. But then then there are others. Um, this can especially be the case of forwards, if they're not getting much a good quantity or quality of supply from their midfield or further down the ground, then that can hold them back. But uh, back to Rebecca Webster, she... She scored 135 on the weekend, and that's the previous three had been had gone 70, 82, and 57. So that was a pretty big jump. Do we owe everyone an apology for last week? We're talking about value players when it came to uh, dollars per point, and uh, one player that we talked up was Tia Haynes. She was the second best in value for dollars per point. And uh, a bit of a bust this weekend. Yeah, yeah, just the 44 points um, this weekend. I mean, it's similar, to, I guess, to her round one score of 55. So she may, maybe she's the kind of player who can be a bit up and down. Um, yeah, she's gone 55, 107, 141, 44. So there's a lot of variance in that kind of scoring. And the other one that uh, blew up for us after we <laughs> praised her uh, as being the best value player for, for dollars per point, uh, Courtney Hodder, um, like all the Lions, didn't have a game that, that they would be proud of on the weekend. No, just the 28 points there. Oh, dear. So, um, you know, easy come, easy go. That is uh, what happens when it comes to uh, these strategy games, doesn't it, uh, Jack? Yeah, yeah. You've got to be... I guess you've got to be, there's, there's a bit of luck to it, yeah. If we take a look at the uh, dollars per point to try and find, you know, those best value players, um, as we scroll down, there has been a, a clear change in that because of, again, uh, Haynes and uh, Hodder uh, not having a great performance on the weekend. We have now seen a change in that, that the best player when it comes to dollars per point at 156.86 is Ruby Slicer of Collingwood. Um, her points down on what we've seen for round two and round three, but at an average of 128 in defence, it's fair to say that I guess a lot of players aren't really expecting a high score out of uh, their back half of the field. So 128 at a player that's worth $20,000 seems like something that can be just that brick that you can put in the back pocket and leave there. Yeah, look, I, I wish I had her. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, but she's she's a little down in round one, but since then has been has been phenomenal. So I may just be getting her in this week. Talking about having a player in their side, I, I'm going to boast that at the moment I've got Jess Wuchner in my forward pocket who has not played a game at this stage, but the backup sitting there on the interchange for me is Tegan Cunningham. 
Her price is $20,000, classified as a forward. Third best value at $178.97 per point and uh, delivered um, again on the weekend. It's a it's a lower score, but the average of 112 seems pretty pretty tasty for a $20,000 player. Yeah, yeah. And I think that, that's what you want to be looking for in your value players is ones who can punch well above their weight, get all the good ones of those, and then spend the rest of your money on the like, top players regardless of how much they cost. And so I think if you can move your squad towards getting closer and closer to that, you're going to do better and better as the season goes on. So, Jack, we're coming to round five. We're just about ready to pass the halfway mark of the season. You're looking at your side and you're making some contemplations. Who are some of the players you've got your eyes on at the moment that you're thinking that if you can squeeze them into your side, it'd be worth the go? Well, I'm definitely looking at Ruby Schleitzer. I got Elise Parker in um, last week, and that worked well. I'm thinking I may find Ellie Blackburn in. I think she was down on the weekend, so just as well. I kind of flipped the coin between the two last week, and it seemed like I went with the right one. But, um, yeah, she may be coming in too, because she's been, apart from the weekend when she was maybe a little down, she's been going 200-plus every week. And so she's one I've got my eye on. Um, There are plenty of value players. There's um, Janelle Cuthbertson who's available as a forward, although she's set playing in defense at Fremantle. Um, she's been pretty good value at $192 uh, per point. Uh, just $20,000 all up. Um, so yeah, I'm probably going to end up <coughs> going for someone, some cheap player who's performing really well, plus some top-end premium this week. Um, the players I've mentioned are, prob- are some of the most likely, I'd say. Yeah, it's interesting. With this fixture of matches coming up, uh, particularly if, if people are going to go for either the Cats or Richmond players, knowing that that would be a close game and the likes of Conti might get the uh, football a lot. If some people are going to load up on the Adelaide Crows, they may think they might have the Saints measure because it's an away game there at uh, at Norwood Oval. Um, it, it's, it's a bit of a tricky one, isn't it, coming into this round? There are a couple of potential one-sided games. My, my gut feeling is the Eagles and Suns will be one-sided, but who knows? The Suns might cause an upset. Your philosophy, are you trying to look for points out of players that are going to play in a tight contest, or are you trying to load up on the teams that you know are going to have a big win? Depends on the kind of player they are. I mean, if they're, if they're sort of a forward or there's someone or even a defender, someone who's kind of either upstream or downstream from uh, kind of a central contest, then... Thinking about who they're up against is probably worthwhile. Uh, for other kinds of players, they just score well regardless. Those are typically typically kind of your inside mids, um, the rucks. They'll probably do well regardless of how the team goes. Um, so I wouldn't worry too much for them. But if you've got like a key forward or someone, um, <clears throat> you know, I, I know I suggested Taylor Harris um, last week, and that didn't go entirely brilliantly. Um, on the weekend, although her teammate Darcy Vessio uh, kicks three and put on a big score, uh, I think second highest for the Blues. So I'd say it depends on the type of player. Jack, thank you very much for joining us once again as we take a look at the sheplays.com.au AFLW Fantasy League, and we look forward to your company again next week. Not at all. Thank you for having me. Two women's footy legends go head-to-head in Coach versus Coach.
And it's time for Coach versus Coach, where two legends of women's football go head-to-head in an AFLW tipping competition. And it's an extra stressful week for both of them as the QAFLW kicks off this weekend, as well as the VFLW. First of all, we have got the Coolangatta Bluebirds head coach in Nicole Graves and assistant coach with the Collingwood Magpies in the VFLW, one Lisa coach, Kiwi Roper. How are you both? Good, thanks. Good, thanks. Yes, busy, busy. Round one in the QAFLW this week, as you said, Pete. So, yes, flat out at the moment. Well, we're flat out like a list of drinking. Plenty of coaches' headaches. Yeah, well, yes. <laughs> Let, let's get into it and let's begin AFLW round four review. We go back to Friday night. Now, you all have the same tips until you get to the final game, so we'll keep everyone in suspense. But you, Gravesy, went for the Saints by 18 points. Coach Kerry went for the Saints by 14 points. In the end, the Saints end up being 29-point winners over Geelong. Gravesy, how did you see your old mate Peter Sills' side getting the chockets over Geelong? Yeah, it was good to see back to the to the winning list for the for the Saints girls, and yeah, that was it was pretty um it was a really good game, and you know cats, you know we we discussed over the last few weeks that they're struggling in areas, so there was a few highlights for them uh, in terms of that. I thought um you know Beck Webster's defence, um you know uh, Van der Heuvel, just that you know running down tackle on Kate McCarthy, I probably could have told her that, but that kid is quick. Um, you know, the McDonald girls uh, were awesome. You know, 21 and 18 possessions together. Liv Purcell just, you know, keeps busting her guts. Um, I thought Rocky was better, which was a bit of a highlight. And But at the moment, as we discussed, you know, the kids really are carrying that team. And so, you know, it's uh, it's going to be a tough uh, tough season for them. But I think, you know, as I said, we'll get to the end of it. In terms of the Saints, you know, they were, you know, their ruck dominance was Amazing. Ree Watt is just having an absolute blinder. You know, plus 14 for Ree, 16 disposal. It shows her work rate around the ground. And obviously, having been actually drafted Ree to Carlton and, and she was always going to go home to Saints, that was, a, that was a bit of the deal that we sort of made. But her development under Pete Sell has just been brilliant. I know how much she respects her. So that's really good to see Ree um, do well. And, you know, and just, you know, the Saints. Their deficiency, yeah, their efficiency um, inside 50 was, you know, it was just plus 30% on the cats. It just shows you. And I guess really Kate Shearlaw, just again, the senior players thriving under Pete Seale really is really obvious. I think, you know, the kids learn from the from the coach, but they also learn from their leaders. But what the leaders are doing are learning so much and just really reinventing themselves from their previous AFL clubs. So it was, you know, it was great to watch. Players standing out, Kate Shearlaw, Tilly Lucas-Rod, both ex-Blues and coach Kiwi Tiana Smith, named as a NAB Rising Star nominee this week. Yeah, look, um, I think she did extremely well. Um, she's quite a young, exciting player that's, um, you know, getting her hands on the ball a few times, making some really key um, tackles in the game. And um, certainly we're going to talk about her as much as we do, Izzy Huntington and all the rest of the youngsters. Um, I thought Meg Mack had a pretty pretty solid game down the back line and it was good to see Phoebe McWilliams getting a hand on and a couple of good shots at goal but um, and yeah Rocky got a bit more in the game which is good and I think they probably need to bring her in even more and um, whether they just throw through the midfield a little bit just get her in there, get her involved and because um, I just think she's she was very good at that a few years ago, you know she was a real good key uh, midfield player 
and um, I think they're sort of missing some of that zap through there. But Saints just looked really, really organised. They, um, you know, and for as young as they are, Petersfield's got a really good structure going, and I think the girls on the field are just executing it well. And um, I think they absolutely love playing at RSEA Park. It's um, they're starting to hold their own there and play against some pretty handy opposition and get the win. So yeah, good on St Kilda. Yeah, and just on that point, you mentioned Pete um, Tilly Lucas Rod. You know, usually, you know, if a if you one of your defenders gets nineteen disposals, um, you sort of go, "Oops, it's been down there heaps." But you know, they won the footy game quite dominantly. So Tilly gets, you know, eight nineteen disposals, which means she's that anchor down back. She's rebounding before it gets deep, which is really effective. So I think that you know that strategy. And Pete's obviously been a defensive coach at at men's level and stuff. So, yeah, so they've really got a great structure down back at rebounds before it gets to that dangerous space. You both tipped Carlton to win. Uh, Gracie went for Carlton by 28 points. Coach Kiwi went for Carlton by 23 points. At quarter time, uh, yeah, <laughs> Richmond are up. And to quote uh, Sarah Ollie, she said that uh, Daniel Harford said, get your in the game. I didn't have a beep button on me. But he was not happy, and I think a lot of people went, what's going on? Coach Kiwi, I'm going to ask you this question. Did Richmond rise to Carlton's level, or did Carlton fall to Richmond's level? Ooh, very good question. I think, um, well, I think Collingwood had a hand in this. I think the week before, um, Richmond stood up to Collingwood and gave them that confidence to take it on to, to Carlton. And, um, you know, their disposal efficiency was actually fairly even between the two sides. It was just their efficiency inside 50 that really um, swung Carlton's way with 52%. And um, Richmond, only 13 shots from 35 inside 50s is really where it cost them. Um, It was good to see Katie Brennan back running through that half forward and um, just showing... I guess what everyone knew a few years ago was she's probably one of the best half forwards around. And, you know, she got her hands on the ball. She took some really awesome marks. And um, and the speedsters that are around, um, Rebecca Miller, I thought, had an outstanding game for um, Tigers, whether she was down back or in the ruck position. Um, really, really handy player. Uh, and then, yeah, I think, you know, Darcy, great to see Darcy... Um, Playing a bit more on the forward line, I, people, I hear people say she's coming back to form, but I think they're actually not seeing that she's been playing quite high up and setting others up, whereas this week she kind of played a bit more deeper and, um, you know, obviously had a few shots herself. I think she kicked three and two behinds, I think was her tally at the end of the day. Uh, so they just, you know, adjusted how they used her in the match. But, um, you know, and I think uh, they've lost Maddie P for a week at least probably. So um, she got a bit of a roughed up. Yeah, she got a bit rough rough with um, one of her husking mates. But um, but you know, this is this is a combat kind of position that you play in the midfield, and you know, there's going to be some tough tackles, and probably um, landed a little bit awkward. But that's sometimes how it goes. Remember, this is the AFL slash AFLW. Poster players get off at the tribunal. Uh, Gravesy, <laughs> Carlton <laughs> winning by just. Five points. This is the third game out of four where it's been a kick in it. This time it went their way. Is this maybe finally the kick in the pants that they need to get their season going? 
Uh, I think the kick in the pants came round one, mate, and round two, and uh, yeah, from there on. <laughs> Listen, yeah, and there's something the not quite clicking. Spray. <laughs> there isn't something quite clicking, but I think we underestimate. You sort of said, did Carlton lower their colours and did you know Richmond go, yeah, raise their colours? I think it was just a ripping game, and and you know I hate to point it out to Kiwi, but we we spoke about this at the start of the season, and they just needed some confidence, you know, really. You know, Wakefield's been their shining light for the past two seasons, you know. Um, but getting that support now from from those star recruits that they got with, you know, Katie Brennan um, and those kids now getting real leadership on field, I think, you know, it's really, we knew that they had some of the talent there. They just had to sort of click and get everything working. So I think it was, it was a ripping game. We um, I took all my players down to the local surf club and, and we watched the game after training and... Um, and it was just fantastic to watch. It was good to see a really close game and show, you know, you know, it doesn't matter. You, it doesn't matter where you think you're going to finish on the ladder and where all the captains think you're going to be and where coach versus coach thinks you're going to play in a grand final. <laughs> what it shows you is, you know, is sheer determination of, of and the improvement that can happen um, in a season at, at AFLW. And it was wonderful to see Darcy. Um, back to her very best, and and I think getting up the field has given her that confidence, and you know just getting her hands on the footy, so she can roll back forward feeling confident. She had plenty of touches, and so it was really good to see Darcy back there. But my greatest highlight was honestly the um, uh, the Hoskins on social media for the week. <laughs> I literally would wake up every morning, have a bit of a squeeze at the socials, have a really good giggle, and just crack up laughing. And I just thought that was a highlight, and it. Again, we just keep seeing these moments this season, these little special moments that just make AFLW so special and so joyous to watch. And, and that, you know, the socials are really, you know, becoming part. They've always been part of women's footy because mainstream media really, you know, they're getting on board. But, you know, so they have used socials and the AFL's used socials to highlight, you know, women's footy. But, you know, it's it just shows something special about this game and that it's, not AFL men's and they're not trying to be AFL men's, but they're legitimately, you know, athletes and, and the games are showing that. And, you know, for a game that really is half the length of time of, of the men's um, game and all these, you know, different sort of rules and, and you know, two less players, I think, you know, the scores really comparatively um, with the men's, you know, it would be up there with, the, you know, 15, 20 goals if they were playing twice as long. So I think it's, you know, it's really showing that sort of thing. And as I said, the, the, those socials were just classic. And, you know, Darson and all the girls that get on the socials and really tell the truth about their lives and what's going on, I think it's just so much fun and, and really engages people that aren't normal footy supporters. So kudos. All the girls, well done. Let me ask you I the think, question. Um, Let me ask you the question just quickly, Coach Kiwi, that was posed by Sarah Hosking after the purple dye in the shampoo bottle by Jess. Is it really a prank if you actually pull off the look in the end? Well, hang on. Did she pull off the look? I, don't I think know, it works okay. I yeah, think, I think it works it, okay. Yeah, but it was apparently supposed to be blue. Like it was, she thought it would come out blue. So I guess cotton blues on her kind of in a way. So didn't mm. realise that that hair, that hair shampoo was going to come out purple. So I maybe a little bit of, uh, uh, Sorry. Good going, Kiwi. My bad. Yeah, she needs to research her um, pranks a little better, perhaps. <laughs> and I sort of thought, really, it just shows the Hoskins are backing the Dockers to win the grand final as well. <laughs> I, I have I to trade, feel, a late trade. I feel after watching the Hoskins, 
Um, the Moody sisters need to lift their game. <laughs> cool. Now, talking They're about Fremantle. Someone knows them. <laughs> yeah. Talking about Fremantle, you both tipped Frio to win. Graves, he went for Frio by 24 points, a bit more conservative. Coach Kerry went for Frio by 36 <laughs> points. In the end, a 49-point win to Fremantle. But, 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 but. During that first quarter, when the Gold Coast led one goal to zip and Fremantle couldn't get anywhere near hitting the scoreboard, what were all your thoughts then? Did anyone think, what on earth is going on? No. Nah. I was just excited. I just about fell off my chair um, in screaming for, obviously, you know, as I said, one of my favourites, Leah Kasler, (laughs) uh, kicking the first goal. You know, and you can celebrate all that, you know, and little do we know, you know, I've got, got to say we lost the grand final last year by only kicking one goal. So sometimes you're up and about in that first goal and you're like, here we go. And next minute, you're like, mm, if I only knew that was going to be our only goal. Um, so, yeah, so we have moments <laughs> in the game like that. So I had a highlight in the first five. Um, yes, that was interesting, wasn't it? <laughs> Is it my turn or Kiwis? Hey, it's your turn, Gravesy. <laughs> oh, right. Good oak. Um, you know, you weren't going to uh, stop anyway. Uh, Nick, off. <laughs> Nick off, naughty. Um, so let's let's talk about the game. You know, for, apart from my little highlight at the start. So you know, the Suns really they have some connection issues, don't they? Down defence and getting that ball out. You know, and as we spoke about the the nervousness of you know when you're under the pump. You know, just looking back down the line and not looking at other options. And you know, that was probably a little bit apparent. Again, I thought Suns, again, were, were better playing, you know, as I said, what we the benchmark of the season. But, you know, you talk about stats and, you know, I'm not a data-driven person, just ask Chrissy Steen. But, you know, hit-outs, <laughs> hit-outs, the Suns were plus 23 in hit-outs and plus three in clearances. And yet um, Frio were plus 20 in turnovers. So... We, we're sort of starting to see some themes about where they're effective and where they're falling down. So really, really tough. And a team, you know, that's up and about, you usually sort of say, well, there's more tackles than a team probably that's that's losing the game because they've got to keep getting the footy back. But the tackle count was plus 27 in Frio's work. So it just shows about the work rate of, of Frio. And inside their 50, uh, inside their 50, the tackle count was 17 to 3. So the, you know, the, urgency for Frio to keep the ball in um, and just tackle hard and keep the ball in shows that urgency at one end versus the urgency at the other end. And I know it didn't go down there too often, but, um, you know, there's some real consistencies here that the data is showing. And as I said, I'm not very data-driven. But, yeah, there's also some connection things. But, you know, speaking to the girls over there, they're, you know, they're getting their connection. And as I said, sometimes a road trip is, is good. So let's cross fingers that they, they really take everything on board. They're still learning their craft and, and doing all that and they have a better showing um, against uh, the Eagles next week. Coach Kiwi, a free medal, the most intimidating side in the competition? Um, well, clearly Suns didn't think so the way they started. Um, but yeah, look, I cheered Suns on when they went out and started that game in a hiss and a roar and, um, you know, and, and, by half time, you probably would still be fairly confident Suns were in this game. It was, I think, free only led by five points. So had they been more accurate, definitely they would have put the Suns away in that second quarter. But, um, you know, I'm sorry, Gold Coast, you don't get an extra point if you're leading at the break like they do in that ball. You've got to win at the end. 
Um, but yeah, that third quarter is when Frio um, put their foot down and just went and kicked, um, I think it was three goals, two in the third quarter that really uh, pushed the score upwards. And that's what they tend to have done. A couple of other games now, they've come out in that third quarter and just really put teams away. Um, but they, you know, their midfield was pretty solid and their possession count was probably distributed around a few of the players. Like, um, you know, Bow has only got 17 disposals. She made 15 tackles, so um, she's just, you know, just an out-and-out hunter around the ball area, and um, and her tackle pressure is just tremendous. Um, and then, you know, Sullivan and Miller were the other ones that had their, had the most hands on the ball for Frio, whereas uh, Stanton was best for for the Suns, and probably, um, I mean, I, I love watching Leah Kasler play, so I gave her a bit of a cheer. I don't know if I should call her a veteran, but just one of the ones who've been around a while in Queensland, AFLW now, but, um, and, and generally a back, right? She's played defence um, pretty much every game this season. So you love getting, you love a defender coming up and kicking a goal. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was a good game. And, um, and yeah, I think it's just hard for Suns on the road to get all the way over there. And they've had a few big, few big losses now. So they uh, got a bit of work to do this week and, um, somehow work out work out a better system through their back line to stop letting in so many goals is probably their biggest worry, I reckon. Saturday night at Marvel Stadium, Collingwood 4-4-28 defeated the Kangaroos eight behinds. I'll quote what I said on Twitter immediately after the final siren. For the first time, North hashtag AFLW lose two in a row and fail to score a goal all match against the side who during the off-season hired the successful coach that North axed. Coach Kiwi. Oh, look, we both picked pies even. And, you know, um, a few people said to me, what are you doing picking pies over North? Because everyone still thinks, and North do have an outstanding list. But, um, you know, as we said last week, we kind of felt like the key players were performing well for Magpies and then their other players were also stepping up, whereas I hadn't seen that with North. And, um, you know, you kind of – I was at the game and it was – you just sort of I – never, I, I never really felt like Collingwood put North away. I probably felt like they just were better uh, users of the football during the game, and especially in that last quarter when um, North was sort of very deep. Like, um, Cashy was very deep. Bruton was very deep. He didn't – you didn't get to see the normal transitioning um, from that um, back 50 that North have been so great at doing. And um, I felt like uh, the Collingwood defenders weren't really put under that much pump, to be honest. Um, even though they were eight behinds, I don't think they um, felt that they were ever really, really pressured um, down that end of the field. So, um, But, you know, when when North did push up and apply a bit of that pressure, uh, Magpies just went around the outside and they just shortened the kicks and just hit up shorter options and just moved the ball really fast and really clean. And, um, you know, I think they've got a really handy side and they're able to adjust um, during the match, which is something really important when you go through a season this short and um, quite varying types of opponents. So, um, yeah, I really enjoyed the way the Collingwood were playing and um, North two losses in a row, I think they've never had. So, um, and um, and this week's going to be a great challenge for Collingwood, I think, against the D's. So, another team that probably people 
think, wouldn't have two losses in a row. So here they come. Coach Kiwi went for the Pies by seven points. Gravesy went for the Pies by four points. Gravesy, I ask you the question, did the Karma bus run over the Kangaroos and also reverse over them? <laughs> I know. There's a bit of that feeling, isn't it? I think, you know, to be really honest, I suppose when, when the Roos built that list, everyone was like, no. Oh. Gee whiz, you know, here we go. And, you know, they've really come out firing in the season, but they just haven't finished seasons off a little bit. And, you know, to the Pies' credit, let's let's talk about them. They're brilliant. Um, you know, they're, they're really marching into finals, aren't they? They're really – and just a really – you can see some real camaraderie-ship that you haven't probably seen with the, with the Pies over the last um, few years, just the real belief that they can. Um, and, you know, they've got their players fit, which is great. When you've got Malloy and – Davey and, and all those um, stars, Britt Manichi, you know, putting in, you know, 30 possession games and they're young kids and, you know, they've, I guess the bonus of you know, finishing lower on the ladder in the first couple of seasons, they've got some ripping kids down there that just, they just needed a bit of support and a bit of um, leadership and they've got that now. So, you know, that's fantastic. That's nothing taking away from Choch, but they've got great leaders all around to help Choch out. So, yeah, so it was really interesting. I mean, you know, the Roos plus six inside 50. But the big telling one, we talk about the Roos in Melbourne and they really control the ball and, you know, even the Lions, they control that uncontested possession. The Pies were plus 63 in uncontested <laughs> possession. So they really beat the Roos. 73. 73. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. Maths. Come on, mate. 10. Um, 10. 10 is important. <laughs> yeah. Well, 73. Like, you know, that's almost Kiwi's age. Um, so, you know, that really is, is so Ow. telling in egg on. Uh, it's so telling in a game of footy. You know, we talk about you know, total usually uncontested possessions between two teams is that amount. So that was just brilliant. So they really are forming. They, we know they're good at the contest. They're good inside with the likes of those real inside players that they've got, as Benici we spoke about. But, you know, Malloy is, you know, just she's back at her very best. She was elite and working at both ends, like a massive work rate. You know, those one-handed pickups and stuff, it's just like, oh, I wish, <laughs> I wish I could do that. And I've got to yeah, give a bit of a shout-out to, um, again, to um, to Membry. 11 goals, one shit. Would you believe she was going for a 12th straight and missed it on that absolute cork with that really courageous mark going back into the pack. So, you know, with, with a you know, with a forward like that that's you know, been consistent and consistently kicks goals and their mids providing that other drive goal, um, you know, whether the mids are rotating through that forward, they've actually found a way to goal which they haven't been able to do in past seasons. Um, so I think that's really important. So yeah, so it's it's great to see, um, you know, being a mad Carlton supporter, it's always hard to watching the game with mum and she just refuses to barrack for Collingwood. But I'm like, mum, but, you know, Bree Davy And so obviously, yeah, and I'm good too. Yeah, she has Bree Davy's wobbly head on her thing, but she then just bagged out. She's in a Carlton jumper, so she was okay with that. So, but, yeah, so it's hard to, you know, barrack for them in the tradition of, you know, pies, um, blues. But I'm so impressed with the way they're going about their business. It's, it's really good to watch them play footy. The stats were incredible. If you look at like Davy Bree Davy had thirty one possessions. Um, Jamie Lambert had twenty seven. Bernici twenty one. And then the old girl on the wing, Steph Kiochi, at twenty. The best for Kangaroos was Garner with nineteen, and then Bruton followed with eighteen. And 
um, Emma Carney was well down the list with only 15. So it was a real telling um, tale, I guess, when you look at the stats and just see that, you know, which midfield absolutely dominated and not just in that tight end midfield, but also out to the wing is, is pretty incredible too. Let's talk about the Brisbane Lions and the Adelaide Crows. Coach Kerry went for the Crows by 10 points. Gravesy went for the Crows by 7 points. You both were pretty close to the mark. In the end, it was a two-goal victory to the Adelaide Crows. As much as Gravesy, everyone talks about the kids coming through and how fantastic the kids are, let everyone <laughs> bow down to 35-year-old Aaron Phillips. Oh, absolutely. <sighs> yeah, you know, we talk, it was it was... There was plenty, plenty on the socials and the Twitter feed, uh, in the Twitter sphere um, this week about the old girls. It was around for the old girls, and uh, you know, we say, I say that with tongue in cheek, me being twice as old as their oldest girls. But anyway, um, yeah. So I thought, I mean, it was a really ripping game. We can sort of start with the, you know, the first quarter, and a song comes to mind of the lion sleep tonight. So yeah, so <laughs> I, they were really, I think they were a bit shell shocked in that first quarter. You know, it was like, whoa, and I was like, oh, this is not what I was expecting. I was expecting, a, you know, a good game. But, you know, they really got themselves back in the game, uh, which was great, and it just gave us a really fantastic game of footy to watch. You know, uh, it was like the inside 50 shots. You know, the Lions, you know, had 23 inside 50s for nine shots, but the Crows had 36 for 18. So what it's saying is that the Lions probably aren't getting deep enough to those key forwards, and we've spoken about over the last few weeks, you know, the Twin Towers and, and really, so they, for them to, you know, to get it deep for the for those Twin Towers to be effective, you know, was important. But in saying that, you know, the defence of, of, the, um, of the Crows and the way they work the ball out so quickly, the turnover really is effective. So, you know, it was, you know, it was really um, an interesting game to watch, and it it did show some really ripping skills. Um, and yeah, Erin Phillips is just a star. There's no doubt about it. Um, you know, her and Marinoff were definitely back to their awesome, evil best with 28 and 21. Um, you know, but I think it was when we talk about the connection in teams. How was the connection between Erin Phillips and Chelsea Randall? You know, they had nine marks apiece. Um, but the highest in, across the game, and that just shows that they're, you know, they're really getting themselves out. You know, Chelsea probably, and both of them quite often contested marks. So those marks start to, yeah, taking those eighteen marks between your two best sort of players and your leaders. What it's doing is it's it's slowing the game down, and they're owning the game. You know, so if you drop those marks, catches win matches. You drop those marks, you put yourself under pressure. But if they're taking those marks, they can really set up what's going on, you know, going on up and down the field. So I think that was a real telling one as well. So, yeah, back to form. Chelsea's still playing up forward, so it's interesting. And everyone goes, oh, I want to see you down back. But I think, you know, you've got to win. You've got to win games by kicking goals, and as we've spoken about before. And a lot of things, a lot of the teams are now putting their stars up forward because they're, you know, they've just – they're more effective and more efficient in their disposal use. And, and you know, we talked about the game before, you know, eight points is not going to win you a game. And Melbourne, when we talk about that game next, uh, they'll be ruining uh, something similar. Coach Kiwi. Go on, Kiwi. Coach Kiwi, <laughs> I, I, I do have to ask, the Brisbane Lions looked like they were going to turn on their trademark second-half uh, comeback. 
but the Adelaide Crows had just built up enough of a lead and uh, that much of a quality side where they were able to keep the Lions at arm's length right throughout that second half. Well, yeah, I think, um, you know, the Lions only managed to kick two goals in that second half, like one each quarter, probably um, really isn't enough to take on a team like Adelaide. Well, actually, to take on Erin Phillips, because let's face it, she kicked four goals straight um, for their six-goal tally. Um, the thing with Crows, just their, their goal-kicking, like they still had nine behind. So, um, you know, I think it's a simple area to kind of fix when you're getting enough chance and kicking shots at goal to just polish your accuracy. And um, and certainly, you know, that's where come the tail end of the season, that's where it's going to count the most, I think, for them as they um, start to go into the finals. Uh, but, yeah, look, Marinoff was fantastic. Um, you know, we all hailed the Queen, Erin Phillips. Um, and Hatchard, I thought, was fantastic. And same with Radjik. Radjik? through um, across the halfback line. But I have to give a shout-out for Lauren Arnell. I actually thought she got involved a few um, really important moments and just set others up with you know, a really important key handball out the back of a contest or something that just set the runners um, alight for Brisbane. It probably, you know, she perhaps need a few more like her. Um, Conway, I thought, had a bit of a quiet game for her. She still had 14 disposals, but just, didn't have quite the impact, and um, Emily Bates obviously got more involved down the back line. But, yeah, a little bit of work and um, probably not as clean as Brisbane want to play, and I think Adelaide just wouldn't let them uh, fall into their structure and, um, you know, feel any kind of comfort through that game. So it, it was almost like they're play, playing a bit of catch-up football through the whole game rather than their usual controlled football. So... Um, yeah, credit to Adelaide. I just think, you know, they've got less to polish to become stronger as opposed to some of the other teams. But, yeah, at, good for the old people. At VU Witten Oval, <laughs> the Western Bulldogs, 6-1-37, defeated Melbourne, a pitiful 2-12-24. Coach Kiwi, do I need to get the snow shovel out and scrape Lily Mithen off the ground? She was flattened at least three times by Hannah Scott. Oh, and I think um, Bonnie too good laid her out at one point too. It's um, you know, the thing with Lily, like she weighs all of twenty two kilos. So you know, with anyone with any um, you know, who weighs over fifty kilos is going to knock her. She's going to go flying, isn't she? But Chris too, she does it every week and gets back up. I don't know. She's um, she just bounces off the wall like an energizer bunny. But um, look, that game, despite the scoreboard, it actually looked a lot closer on the field. Like the contests were hard. The ball did go down each end. Melbourne certainly are going to absolutely rue all those missed shots. Like 12 behinds is just not good enough. And some of them, um, probably at least three of them, were set shots they should have nailed easy. So, um, and I think, I think there's a little bit of a hangover from a, perhaps a certain player that left Bulldogs and went to D's a couple of years ago. There was a bit of um, that sort of, uh, you know, how you cheer on an ex-teammate a little bit feeling on the field. <laughs> um, but, yeah, credit to Bulldogs. And, um, and Nathan Burke, you know, they're, they're a fairly young team, but he's got them running a pretty good system. And good to see Danny Marshall back in. Um, I think it's going to be hard for the likes of Lauren Spark to get back in now too. Um, they look fairly, fairly solid and fairly, fairly well organised down the back line. So, um, yeah, um, 
what else can you say? Sorry, Sparky, but um, gonna gotta maybe perhaps injure a kid at training or something. I don't know. I don't advocate violence at all. <laughs> I just want to see Sparky back. But yeah, Kirsty Lamb was solid. Like you know, McLeod, the speed she has on the outside is just hard to stop. And and if they think they can put a speedy person on her, then Brooke Lockton runs down inside. So um, tough team to beat. And you know that young Sarah Hartwig, boy, boy, she's got a great left foot. She's uh, very handy and steps on her left all the time. I don't know why people haven't picked this up, but um, they go to her right side and she just easily steps on the inside and great composure and hits up her targets. Um, for an 18-year-old, that's some good talent and a great future ahead of her. Gravesy, on social media, the former Western Bulldogs uh, Premiership coach in uh, Paul Graves, all he tweeted was just clapping hands. Perhaps he was happy that someone was... Knocked off their birch. <laughs> Jesus. And Paul Graves, not Paul Graves, because my brother's Paul Graves. Graves, um, pardon me. <clears throat> Slip of the tongue. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It wasn't uh, yeah, your brother Gra- then. Gravesy, yeah, Gravesy You've just ruined a good joke. <clears throat> oh, it always throws me off, because when I ever speak to Gravesy, it was always Gravesy. It was always, um, yeah, I had to get it right myself. It's an interesting stat. Dogs pretty much don't need a full forward. Would you believe that they did not take <laughs> one mark inside 50 and won the footy game kicking 6-1? Like, woo Yeah, exactly. It's the runners. It's their runners they've got, like Lachlan, like McLeod. They just they run the footy. They're just speed. Yeah. Yeah, they don't wait. So it was interesting. So it just shows as well, because a lot of that, there was still cont- contested ball in there. So they're just working, working um, so hard to keep it in that 50 until they score. So that was really impressive. Um, you know, talk about a coach crusher, 212, just uh, hard, you know, <laughs> double the scoring shots they had um, in terms of, of uh, in terms of the dogs. But it comes down to belief. And I suppose it's a little bit like the Lions, you know, losses, after teams have been really winning a few games in a row, it's not a – yeah, we always want to keep winning, don't get me wrong, but it gives you a bit to look at. It shows inefficiencies and, you know, it just keeps, I guess, players a bit level um, in terms of that so they're not getting too far ahead of themselves. And I don't think Melbourne's necessarily a team like that. They just kick themselves out of it ultimately a bit. But, you know, that's not taking away from the dogs. They're just playing such good footy. And they're playing really good contested footy and, and that sort of belief and being able to sort of snap it around the corner and have a, you know, have a real shot. And they've got some really, really good support for Ali Blackburn and some of those really decent mids. Um, and yet you're right with Lily Misson. She is just a trooper. She just bounces back up. She's brave. She's courageous. And no doubt, you know, she might have bounced back up, but I, there's no doubt about that her whole body would have been in the ice bath. <laughs> post game and possibly still again today. Um, so yeah, so that was you know that was it just shows her heart and her ticker. You know, Paxi busted herself all day. It was really good to see Maddie Gay after a bit of an uh, injury um, sort of um, injury sort of preseason. She was back to her really you know with her best, getting plenty of possessions. So you know there wasn't too much in in terms of the teams except the scoreboard. You know, there was Melbourne was still dominant in most of their dominant areas, but yeah, they just didn't convert. And as I said, those ones were real coach crushes, and yeah, they'd be disappointed with that. But they'll, you know, they're you know they're elite team. They they you know they're really 
big thinkers about the game and, and no doubt, you know, days you'll have plenty to think about and plenty to analyse and plenty to give Mick, uh, plenty of advice to give Mick around all those. And, and certainly, you know, again, that leadership is important. And when, you you know, tall timbers aren't taking the marks and kicking accurately, it, it hurts. So that's really the tale of the game. It wasn't a dominance from one or the other, but it just showed a really different, Two different teams, very different game styles. So kudos to the dogs, well done. And the D's, plenty to work on, but yeah, they'll they'll bounce back, no doubt. To the final game of the round, it was at Blacktown, the GWS Giants 7-6-48, defeating the West Coast Eagles 4-4-28. Coach Kiwi went for GWS by five <laughs> points and is a winner. <laughs> Gravesy went for the Eagles by a, a big, solitary point. Uh, all right, go. little fellas. It's all right. Okay. Gra- Gravesy, it's time to explain yourself, and, and perhaps you're going to use maybe two words. Scorer, Staunton? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. She is just. A ripper, and she really showed, uh, you know, the baby eagles kind of how it's done with their four goals, wasn't it? But yeah, again, it was it was probably midfield dominance. Um, you talk about, you know, Beeson, Eva, Parker, re- their engine room, you know, sixty five possessions between them, and the eagles who, are, again, they're developing, they're learning, and and they played a ripping game, and it was a really good game again to watch. Yeah, they were at thirty eight between their sort of engine room players, so. The, you know, the disposals of, of more experienced midfielders that we just sort of discussed with the Giants really shone out and gave them much more ball use, you know, around, you know, in that connection between, you know, the, the midfield and, and that transition into attacking 50. So, but again, you know, the Eagles, they keep showing improvement. They keep plugging away. You know, um, Happy Atkins, their one end pick up, and uh, and that goal was an absolute <laughs> ripper. So I pick up the highlights, but yeah, I really believe. I mean, you know, Sorton kicking four goals, and their engine room with you know, Biso and Leisha and and Parker just were the difference between the two teams on the day. So yeah, it was a, a, a re- again these games are really good to watch, and you know, Kiwi and I, being our footy lovers, you know, these things are just. So good to watch the development, and it's tough. These teams are—they're in and out of hubs. They're, you know, the the, uh, the sons are over, you know, for two weeks over in Western Australia, and then they come back here, and then you know, then the sons, uh, the eagle, uh, what are they called? Lions. They go over and do the same sort of thing. These girls with their, you know, with their work, and you know, and, and they're not—it's not like the AFL men's hub where they're in five-star hotels, and you know, as I said. I went to, you know, one of the golf, uh, one of the golf courses, played one of the golf courses where one of the AFL teams, and they had a, you know, a footy field mode for them in the in the grass of this golf course. Do you reckon the girls are staying at, <laughs> you know, staying at places like that where they can settle in and train and, you know, and they're they're going they're getting on the plane at five, you know, five a.m. in the morning to play an afternoon game and then getting home at three p.m. in the at night. And at 3 a.m. the next morning, and expected to go to work or have a day off or recover, or it's they're just they're so brave. These girls they are doing amazing um, things to bring us these brilliant games. And yeah, I'm just so chuffed and uh, and what they're doing. So anyone wants to you know shit can AFLW in my books can get stuffed. They've got no idea what these <laughs> girls are going going through. 
Um, and just, you know, mental note, I've had to mow the lawns myself this week and make sure everything's cleaned up because my whole household's gone. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, I listen, the girls are just really flying the flag for for women's sport. And I know all the, you know, the cricketers and everything else, but these girls are just being put from pillar to post with. So, yeah, bring on the immunisation. You can boom if you like, tennis crowd. But so we can get back to some normal and these girls can, you know, get back to, you know, being able to recover properly and, and do the best things for their bodies and, you know, see their families and look after their kids and do all the things that they have to do in their normal life as well. So, yeah, that's my rant for the thing, but I think most uh, AFLW lovers will be right on board with that. So, can I pick up on yeah. that, Coach Kiwi, as, as I lead you into talking about GWS and, t- and tacking back again to Cora Staunton, not only just because of the four goals, it's just sensational, particularly for someone that's 39 years old, but for the fact is when she came over after the 2018 season, it could have been very easy. She's a flash in the pan from Ireland, just playing the one year. It's a publicity thing, no more to be seen. She is back, including where one winter she broke her leg while she was out here. She has come back to Australia for the fourth time. This is her fourth summer out here in a semi-professional sport at an age where most players, male or female, would have well and truly hung up the boots. And she is still throwing full commitment into coming to another side of the country for really not much money. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, I think she's just amazing. And that broken leg she had, the break was so severe that most people it would be career ending. So, and you know, and that's if you had the break in your early twenties when you're perhaps you know limbs and bones are a bit more resilient. But you know, she suffered that only a couple of years ago, and she's able to come back and still be at this elite level is just incredible. Um, but I reckon if, if you watch that first goal she kicked, that says it all. Um, the ball came out of the centre and it went down to sort of the corner of the 50, um, the forward 50 for Giants. She laid the tackle where the ball popped out. Panine picked it up and kicked it into the square in front of the goal. Cora picked up the rebound in that square. So I can't remember who the Giants player was there, brought it to ground. So Cora is able to get up from tackling someone, get in at the speed of a kick, pick it up and kick the goal. Like, that's phenomenal at any age, let alone her age, but just shows, you know, how how interested she is in the game. But to continue and to do the little one percenters and to not give up, just to continually run, run, run and read the play. She backed her teammate. She, um, you know, Back, back to Neen to kick it into the right spot, and she went into crumb. Um, you know, we have we have enough fun trying to teach young ones to get in front and crumb. Ah, but Neen was having a shot. She just yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, feel, I think she was legit passing it to the other forward. No, I'm just didn't, didn't mark it. Yeah, <laughs> but didn't mark it. But um, look, you know that I thought that game was. Um, you know, I think I'm pretty sure these two teams going into the game, they're inside fifty. Efficiency was sitting around the thirty percent mark, but nobody told them because one would get a goal and then the other would get a goal and then one would get a goal and then the other get a goal and you know seven goals in the first quarter. If you're at the field, you would have been absolutely on your feet cheering, no matter who you supported. I reckon. Uh, So you know, and then I think the teams just settled and sadly for West Coast, 
Uh, they only got one more goal in the second quarter, and that was pretty much it for them. Whereas Giants continued to bring that ball forward and and kick a couple more, and um, and as you said, just so much dominance through the Giants midfielders. I think Elise Parker now is a. I think she's the only one who's uh, consistently got about twenty five or twenty six is her average disposals for the season, which is uh, pretty impressive to get five games in or four. What about two four games in? Um, but yeah, you know, and it's good to see young Emily Goodson getting in there and getting her hands on the footy a lot, and um, and even Tani Evans back in the team after having a week off. Um, she's pretty handy, and they're both you know young New South Wales players that have come through. So it's exciting to see them. Um, I have to uh, give a shout out to Maddie Collier. She is a former junior from New South Wales and from down the south coast um, from now, and she played for Kaima Power. But see her kicking a goal. She's um, normally been a midfielder or a half, a small half back, and um, and so that you know they've been throwing it forward a little bit, and so exciting to see her kick a goal, and um, and even you know we haven't mentioned Darabin yet, but Darabin player just Del Post um, also kicked a goal. Drink. I quite like seeing that. I quite like seeing Dally um, flung into the forward line now. I think it just adds adds something a little bit um, interesting and a little bit creative for the Giants. So. Um, you know, a good good little tactic. Of course, the fun game on this uh, little program is every time we mention Darabin, do a shot. Okay, after round four, Coach Kiwi has 21 out of 28 Gravesy trials by one point, 20 out of 28. As we go to round five, we have in this round two matches which feature the winless sides. And here's a little interesting note particularly for the sides that lose, their coaches will be in the hot seat because in the first four AFLW seasons, the side that has finished last in each year, their head coach has not returned the following year. And here's another interesting fact. They're all men. <laughs> Round five kicks off on Friday nights <laughs> at GMHBA well, Stadium. Well, easy, mate. Most of the coaches are men. <laughs> GMHBA oh, Stadium. Cadinia Park, 7.10pm. Two winless sides go head-to-head. The Geelong Cats versus the Richmond Tigers. Gravesy, I'll start with you. Who wins and by how much? Oh, the Tigers are going to get their first AFLW win. No doubt about it. <laughs> now I've said that. It makes me nervous. <laughs> and it's good that I, you know, if they work as hard as they have the last few weeks and not sort of take it easy and go, all right, you know, We've got this. They will. They will win the footy game. So it's you know it's it's almost a little bit of a psychological thing. Tigers, just keep playing the way you've been playing. Don't underestimate <laughs> any footy teams, and you'll get the win. Come on, you good things. So yeah, Tigers for me by eighteen points. Coach Kiwi, who wins and by how much? Yeah, look, I think I think Paul Hood. Uh, will probably keep his job. I think he's done enough in his time at um, Geelong that they may probably still back him for a little bit longer. Um, but yeah, I'm going to tip the Tigers this game. I just think they're actually been building and they haven't had taste of a win before. So it looks to me these last couple of weeks, they're just getting hungrier and hungrier and closer and closer. And I think this may well be the game. I just think um, Geelong's efficiencies cost them going into the forward 50, and I think Richmond have worked out from last week how to do it. They've done their apprenticeship against Collingwood and they did it again against Carlton. And um, I think they're going to come in and they're going to win by 24 points. 
Let's go to VU Witten Oval. It (laughs) is the Western Bulldogs versus GWS Giants on a Saturday afternoon. Coach Kiwi, who can keep a good thing going, the Bulldogs or the Giants? Oh, look, I really want to hear the big, big sound from that west side of Melbourne town. Um, I just think Bulldogs have got the run. Bulldogs at home are going great, and I think... They're playing some really good footy. I think it's going to be a close game. I think Giants will come down and um, really have a good crack at it. But I'm going to tip the Bulldogs by seven. Gracie, who wins and by how much? Is it just me or is the Bulldogs playing a lot of games at Whitney? Yeah, looking at that. I feel like we're watching them play there every week. Oh, yeah, All the Victorians been, play There's home. been a lockdown. <laughs> and Geelong. Geelong every Friday night. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, random. Um, uh, got a good vibe on the Giants at the minute. There's weird things going on there. But, um, again, I'm a bit like Kim. I'd love to back the Giants. But, uh, yeah, the dogs the dogs are going to be – I think it's just more some experience that the dogs have got. And, yeah, they're up and about. And they do – geez, they know how to win at that ground, particularly this year. Now that uh, you know, Ellie Blackburn pointed out that they hadn't won you know, since round one of season one or something like that at uh, Whittenover, they've really started to make it their own now. So, yeah, the Dogs um, will win by, oh, you know, I agree that it'll be close. Um, but no, I'm still going 18 points. 18 points there for the Doggies. Let's have a look at this cracking clash at Fremantle Oval on Saturday. The Fremantle Dockers versus the Brisbane Lions. Gravesy, who wins and by how much? Oh, this is exciting, isn't it? <laughs> um, you know, you turn around and go, well, Lions would be disappointed from last week. You know, they were they could they they could have won if they um had strung, you know, sort of switched themselves on in that first quarter. Um Oh, you always get nervous about these winning teams. Um, back in Juddy's mob, have to back Juddy and Coops. So yeah, so I think um, I think the Dockers will continue by yeah, I'll be close. I reckon the Dockers will win by twelve. Coach Kiwi, will the Lions roar? Will they get the Dockers heave ho? Well, I think uh, yeah, he's a tough one, isn't he? Look, I think I think the Lions are going to change up their game. And I think they go all right um, when they're on the fly. Frio, do they ever travel? We're talking about uh, Bulldogs playing at home. I don't think Frio have gone out of the state for about six well, then, years. Yeah. But anyway. Their Frio uh, actually let them out of the state. You know that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was in West Coast away, but not Frio. Yeah, look, I just think I think Frio just own that oval. They just have it, have it absolutely sussed down there, whether there's wind or no wind. But they're playing some really good football and um, got some good quicks. That I don't know if the Lions have got the quicks to counter um, that kind of attack. So yeah, I'm going to go Frio by 18. Let's go. Yeah, it's a bit ironic that the Fremantle, sorry, Pete, that the Fremantle doctor comes in about the same time um, every week that they play. So yeah, they definitely uh, know. Uh, you know, which which pocket to have their shots from, those girls. Yes. <laughs> Let's go to the land that the AFL forgot, Tasmania, and it's the Kangaroos versus <laughs> Carlton, Launceston, Saturday night football. Uh, Coach Kiwi, who wins and by how much? Oh, this is a tricky one. I think North will get a goal this week. Um, Carlton, I don't know, Carlton kind of grind out 
either either a really you know small win or um, or don't quite get there, do they? Um, a really small loss. Yeah, I didn't want to say it that way. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I don't, look, to be honest, I don't think North can claim anything about home ground advantage playing down um, in Tassie. I don't think they've been able to go down there at all this year. Um, so I'm going to go Carlton by three points. Crazy. Who wins and by Ooh. how much? Well, having been, uh, I think, the first team that uh, – that played in the in Tassie when North were on there, and they gave us an absolute shellacking back in 2019. Um, yeah, that, don't worry, North played very good footy there. I'm a bit nervous. I wish I knew what the tribunal was going to do with um, Matty P, but uh, um, oh, I forgot about Matty P. Yeah, suffering a jock, oh, you can't change it now. Yeah, so. <laughs> and listen, yeah, Carlton have played some really good footy and, and I don't think that they played badly against against the Tigers. Um, I just think the Tigers played really well. Um, I'm actually going to go north because I don't – I think they got an absolute kick in the pants uh, last week and um, and I think that they'll bounce back and plus I've got to find – I've got to find an extra tip on Kiwi. So that's the only reason, Baggers, <laughs> Bagger fans, is the only reason why I'm going – but I'm going north. I'm going north by ten points. So, ten oh, points. There we oh. are. Judge Kiwi. I going. can't suffer my jocks if I'm not wearing any. <laughs> oh, honestly, <laughs> Good these are moments when I'm so glad that we're not Zoom meeting and we're just oh. on the phone. <laughs> Coach Kiwi yeah. there going for the Blue Baggers, Gravesy going for the Marshmallows. Let's go across to Sunday football <laughs> at Norwood Oval. It is the Adelaide Crows versus St Kilda. Now, on paper, you'd be thinking, yep, Crows favourites. But remember, last year, the Saints pushed the Crows. And if it wasn't for a concussion which held up play, there's a very good chance the Saints would have actually knocked off the Crows in that game. I go to you, Gravesy. Who wins the Crows and the Saints at Norwood? Uh, as I said, Pete, Pete has got those girls going beautifully, but it's in Adelaide and Norwood Oval and, and the girls. Yeah, I know the Crows girls love playing there. Um, so I'm actually going the Crows uh, by 14 points. Crows by 14. Coach Kiwi, who wins and by how much? Yeah, look. I think, yeah, I agree. Pete's got them going great, but I just think um, Adelaide at home, you know, their full contingent of absolute and out-and-out superstars. Um, I'm picking the Crows to kick nine behinds and um, and only <laughs> maybe one or two goals more than uh, St Kilda. So I'm going to pick the Crows by 12 points. Let's go across to Victoria Park. It's Collingwood and Melbourne. Coach Kiwi, who wins between the Pies and the Ds? Oh, this is going to be a cracking match, and um, they should take this one to Marvel. I reckon there's going to be a lot of people who want to watch this game, and um, and if you haven't already got your tickets, which as we talk, you can't quite get tickets, but um, get out and get them. It's at, going to be at, a ripping match. As we talk at the moment, Coach Kiwi, the current forecast for Sunday is mostly sunny and 26. Ooh. So where are you going to be, in but sitting in the sunshine, um, watching football because there's no beaches in Melbourne. So <laughs> go to the football. Um, and, yeah, stinking hot day, 26 down here. 
But um, D's will be all right in the heat. You know, they play um, a game at Alice every now and then and they train out at – they don't train, but they have their games out at Casey, which um, I've heard it's like travelling to the desert, well, unless that was the distance to get there. Uh, but, look um, – I'm going to tip Collingwood. I think um, they're hot pies. They're just um, hot, hot, hot right now. I think they've got a good system. I think they've got 21 players that are absolutely firing and um, hard for anyone coming in. But who knows? You know, we had a cracking practice match last week, and those girls were certainly um, pushing for spots without without um, any hesitation there. But um, a headache for Steve, absolutely. But I just think um, Dees will come off and really come in hard at this game after last week's loss, but I just think the Pies have just got some really good systems and a great structure and, um, and a versatile. So I think um, Pies by 12. Gravesy. Uh, well, at a swim this afternoon, the temperature of the water at Gold Coast is <laughs> the same temperature as Melbourne's. <laughs> so I'm going to get on a stunning 26-degree uh, water temperature. Did uh, you wee so, there? Yeah. No, it's, that's actually officially. I even heard it on the radio when I was coming home from the beach. You. Uh, anywho, get back to the footy. Uh, the D's won't lose uh, their, their second game in a row. The D's will reshuffle things. A uh, bit of ba- um, kicking practice. I said they didn't play badly last week. They just missed. Um, and so, yeah, I'm going the D's. It'd be good for Collingwood to have a little, just a little reminder. I'm going the D's. <laughs> By um, I'm going to do by eight points. So and plus I want to you know get two ahead, three maybe three ahead of Kiwi. <laughs> Decisive one that one. Let's go to the uh, final game of the round, Mineral Resources uh, Park. It is the West Coast Eagles versus the Gold Coast Suns. The Eagles travelling back from Sydney. The Gold Coast Suns actually spending this week in WA after they played Fremantle on the weekend, so they didn't return home to Queensland. Both sides without a win. Someone will walk away with a victory, unless, of course, it's a draw. Uh, Gravesy, who wins and by how much? Uh, back in my sons, girls. Oh, that's, it's really hard, isn't it? The two states that I've probably had a majority of my coaching in, but... Uh... Yeah, so now I'm back in the Suns, girls. I, you know, I think they'll they'll pull it all together, and it's going to be hard for them to win at um, uh, Mineral Reserve Park, uh, the old Perth Footy Club. It's going to be tough for them to win there, and uh, but I know that they can they can do it, and I'm I'm back in the girls. To, you know, I think a week all together is going to do them good, as we discussed, and um, I think I think the Suns will will get back on the winning train. And hopefully then I'll be three ahead of Kiwi at the end of this <laughs> round. And by how much? Who says? Ah, uh, listen, <laughs> could, be, could be a nil little draw. Um, who who says I might loud. not pick the sun? Oh, nah, <laughs> you won't. Um, <laughs> listen, I reckon the sun's by 11 points. Coach Kiwi, who wins and by how much? Oh, look, you know, I think it's going to be a great week for the Suns over there bonding, you know, in their shared bunk beds inside the backpackers. Um, but um, I think at the end of the day, you know, they're going to have a bit of cramp because they can't stretch enough and um, that's going to impact their football. And West Coast, you know, they proved last week they can kick some goals and I think they're they're looking better at kicking goals than the Suns have been this season. So I'm going to, I'm going to go West Coast and I'm going to go West Coast by 11.
So the so the decisive tips this round, Gracie went for North by ten, Coach Kiwi Carlton by three, Gracie went for the D's by eight, Kiwi for the Pies by twelve, Gracie for the Suns by eleven, Kiwi for the Eagles by eleven. <laughs> You are listening to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne Carnival, also via rsn.net.au and the RSN Racing and Sport app. Coming up after the break, uh, we've got our interviews from the VFL Women's Media Day, which was held on Monday. We caught up with nine of the 12 VFLW captains. And later on, we'll be reviewing round one of the WAFL Women's Competition by chatting with Subiaco Lions uh, captain Tani Gasolano, and we'll be heading up north to Darwin where they've just completed the home and away season in the NTFL Women's Premier League we're about to head into finals and we're catching up with the minor premiers, the Pint Queen Ants and we're chatting with one of their players in Rennie Hicks Been playing for a while Sweet kicks Cause footy makes you smile Sweet kicks football If you're getting ready for the trials Gotta go the extra mile Sweet kicks football Not always hearing that sweet sound when you kick the ball? Need to develop your footwork or explosive speed? Want to take the next step in your footy career? Then you need Sweet Kicks. More info on our Facebook page or go to our website, sweetkicksfootballacademy.com.au. Gotta go the extra mile. Sweet Kicks Football. VFL Women's Footy Report. So after a year and a half wait, finally the VFL Women's Competition is back. COVID-19 wiped out the 2020 season. Technically, Collingwood is still the reigning premiers from back in September 2019. But a lot has changed for most of the teams, including that Richmond will no longer be in the VFLW competition. They are now doing an alignment with the new club that's in there, Port Melbourne. And of course, the NT Thunder uh, ended their participation in the VFLW after just two seasons in the league. Now, on Monday, the 22nd of February, yours truly and Elise Collette went down to Northport Oval and it was the VFLW Media Day and we managed to catch up with nine of the 12 VFLW clubs. We did miss out on uh, Geelong, Carlton and Hawthorne as their representatives had to uh, leave quickly to go back to their respective training but the other nine clubs we managed to catch up with and you're about to hear those interviews right now. Riley, Chris Gurgle here with us at the VFLW Media Launch Day. Riley, first of all, has it sunk in yet that you've been appointed as captain of the Western Bulldogs in the VFLW. Uh, yeah, the news is actually pretty fresh. Um, just found out it Thursday night. It was a bit of a surprise. I actually got bombarded. I um, haven't washed my hair in a few days and <laughs> had some blue zinc oil in my face. Uh, yeah, no, it's great. It's really sunk in now, especially being here and just really keen to get into the season and get cracking. Talking about keen, what's the last 18 months been like for you? We know for the Western Bulldogs, everything was up and about. You made the grand final, so there was that hunger in the belly to go one more. And then for everybody, everything stopped in Victoria. What was that 18 months like for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I reckon we've still got that hunger in our belly, absolutely. We're coming back for redemption this year, so that didn't go away in the 18 months. Um, for me personally, um, 
you know, I took it as a time to reflect and a time to, I, fortunately I didn't lose any work um, and then worked on skills and fitness in my spare time and just tried to connect through teammates and friends and family just over online like everyone else, I guess. What's it like getting used to summer football, considering we now have the earliest start to the year? Instead of in the past, we'd almost wait till Anzac Day would roll around. Yeah, that's it. Um, I've had about a litre of sunblock every week, so <laughs> I've got to do the reapplication at quarter time. But, um, yeah, I think we're um, pretty fit squad, so we've been really good adapting to the heat. Number of recruits coming into your side this year. I'll start off, of course, with Louise Bibby. She's been around Melbourne yep. Uni and Darabin in the past. And also, you're picking up from the NT once uh, finished with NTFL finals commitments for Nightlift, Eliza Morrison. Yeah, Eliza's uh, a player we're really, really excited about. Um, she came down for a couple of practice matches a couple of weeks ago and just has so much energy and love for the game and is just runs all day, which we love, and has great skills. So we're really excited for her to come down once the uh, NT season wraps up. And, yeah, Bibbs, as we say, like, she's passionate about the club. She loves it. The energy she brings to the training is just like no other. And around you, plenty of VFLW experience when we talk about Caitlin Betts, Mary Sandrell, and, of course, Taylor Denuccio. And everyone seems to forget about Taylor, even though she led the competition in tackles last time round. Yeah, I've always said Denuccio's got to be, like, the best defensive forward in the league, I reckon. Like, I would be terrified having... We call her Swifty down at the club. Yeah. Having her take us out. Um, yeah, we're really excited for her... Um, she might get some minutes in the back line, but we'll see this season, yeah. It seems very exciting that we're coming into this season with a lot of great unknowns because in the past, the VFLW would immediately follow after the AFLW. So you'd always expect half a dozen or so AFLW players back in the game because there might be only one or two at each club, depending on their respective injuries. There's a lot of new talent now in the competition that have come up from the amateur and suburban ranks. How does it feel coming into the competition where there's a lot of great unknown? Um, yeah, well, honestly, at the end of the day, we're just really grateful to be able to play footy. Like, we're taking it week in, week out, and um, we have, like, a lot of young talent, as you said, coming through the ranks, and it's really exciting, and it feels like a really fresh season. And we're just, honestly, just really keen to play some footy and we're just taking it week by week as that goes. And the fixture has been kind to you. First up, you're on your home deck against the Hawks. Yeah, that'll be great. We can't wait to play on the home turf. Fortunately, we've been really lucky and we've been training at Witten for our entire pre-season. So it really does feel like home and that'll be, yeah, a good advantage for us. Well, Riley, thanks for joining us and all the very best for the 2021 season. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Now we've got the North Melbourne VFLW captain, Nikki Wallace, with us. How does it feel to be North Melbourne captain, Nikki, considering, of course, we know your career coming through the lines and then going through Williamstown. Now you find yourself at home at Arden Street. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, it's a great opportunity. I, um, I do, I've always considered myself as a leader and, um, yeah, moving over to North Melbourne, it's been a really great opportunity for me and having a bit of a train on squad with the AFLW girls as well. So, yeah, I'm really excited for the chance. Um, let's, let's talk about that since you mentioned the train-on squad and we know that there, there's many gun footballers at the North Melbourne AFLW level. What's it like to be able to pick their brains and what type of questions are you asking or trying to glean from them as you yourself trying to improve as a footballer? I really admire how much the girls can run. There are some elite runners like Ash Riddell and Jenna Bruton. They just run all day. So I'd love to add that kind of running capacity to my game as well. Um, yeah, so just watching them play and how they go about their football, it's just, just learning, the, learning everything off them. It's really great.
Yeah, had a hit out on the weekend against uh, Collingwood. As they say in practice games, the scoreboard doesn't matter because the magnets get thrown around and everyone tries to try to find their spot. How does it feel coming into that game? Because it was a very weird situation and it happened also for WA footballers where we had the five-day lockdown in Victoria. So everyone had to stay home, no one could train. And then all of a sudden we come out of it on a Wednesday and then bang, straight into it on the Saturday. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's probably probably going to be a bit of how this year will go. We're going to be hit with obstacles and we're just going to have to deal with it. Um, we're going to get over that obstacle mentally and still, if we can, and then the girls did, we managed to still do some uh, body work, movement for exercising and general running as well. Um, yeah, I still think we were really well, well, well prepared for the game, even though we got one session, one proper session in. And I think the girls did really well. We managed to um, really come out hard in the first quarter and I think we just got to be able to implement that for the rest of the game. Let's talk about how the squad is coming together for this year and some of the notable players that you've got in there. You've picked up Lexi Hamilton this year. I see Megan Keeley, Ciara Fitzgerald, Olivia Woods as well. Yeah, we've got some really great recruits. Um, once we start getting those girls into training and start playing together as a team, I think we'll be in for a really good chance this year. And what's the plan when it comes to um, Tasmania as well? We know in the past when Melbourne Uni was kind of under North Melbourne, there'd be one or two Tassie players that would come across and fit in the side. And we know at AFLW level, it's a, officially the North Melbourne Tasmanian Kangaroos. Do you expect to have some Tasmanian players uh, implemented into the side throughout the year? Yeah, well, we already do. We do have a couple in the team already. So, yeah, we're definitely implementing that um, relationship with Tasmania very well. First up, you're kicking the dew off the grass, 10 a.m. on Saturday morning at Arden Street Oval, so early to rise, taking on Port Melbourne. How does it feel coming into a game where we know very little about the opposition? Even you, even though you've played for Williamstown, Port Melbourne is a brand-new team, bar a handful of Richmond footballers that will play for them. Yeah, well, you know, for Port Melbourne, they've got a chance, they've had a chance to gel as a team, the same as us. We've got a lot of new girls as well. Um, with my experience of starting up a new team with um, playing for the Brisbane Lions, I know for a fact they're going to be would have been working really hard to get those skills up. And you know we can't go into this weekend thinking we've got it um, in the bag. We definitely have to work hard to make sure we're on top of them. Well, Nikki, thank you very much for joining us, and all the very best throughout the 2021 campaign. No worries. Thank you very much. Um, so I've got Caitlin Bunker here from the Collingwood Football Club. Firstly. How does it feel coming in to technically be the reigning premiers? And yeah, yeah. really interesting question. Um, I mean, firstly, it's great to be the reigning premiers, and you know, I hope that we can follow that up with a second premiership this year, even though we've had a gap between. Um, but it's just been so good to see that though we've had quite a change in personnel since 2019, we've been able to maintain that standard. Um, we've won our first two practice matches, which is a really good sign. And yeah, I'm really hopeful that we can bring another cup back to Collingwood. Speaking of the gap, how has the last 18 months been for you with all the lockdowns and trying to maintain fitness and not having those games? Yeah, um, I mean, really difficult for anyone living in Melbourne. Um, I'm sure you'd agree. But um, as a team, we just made sure that, um, you know, we maintained connection through Facebook chats, challenging each other on Strava, which is a running app, um, making sure that we have Zoom meets so we can keep up the morale. And on a personal level, um, I think I just channeled my energy into um, running with my partner. That really helped. Swimming, changing up my training. Um, yeah, I think I think that's probably how we managed it. But it was really for all of us um, about taking a moment to look after our bodies and use that time that we were forced to have off so that we're prepared coming into this year. Yeah. Speaking of practice matches, you had a 
dominant win over North on the weekend. What kind of things did you take out from a game like that where you were so dominant? Yeah, um, I think on the scoreboard we were definitely dominant, but there were a few things that we ideally will work on this week heading into round one. I think it's definitely too early to be complacent and to just accept those wins. Um, but we were showing some really good signs, particularly from some of our younger players. Um, so we'll just be looking towards building on that win this week and hopefully have a bigger win on the weekend. Uh, what are some of the players that have been training really well over the off-season but fans don't necessarily know or haven't seen before? Yeah, sure. Um, so we have a few new players who have really stood out in pre-season. Um, one of those would be Olivia Mega, who's one of our under-18s players who's joined us recently and she's just one of the most tough um, in and under football players I've ever seen. Just 18 to have that kind of skill is something that's going to, you know, really add to our team. And another player I'd say is probably um, Molly Eamond. Um, she's come over from the army and she's the best runner I think I've ever seen. She just goes and goes and goes and she'll add that really essential quick run into our team. And finally, round one up against Geelong. How do you stop them and get the first four points of the year? Yeah, interesting question. I mean, obviously we've had um, more than probably 18 months since playing Geelong, so they're probably a very new look side and as are we. Um, I think that we're really, the group's really feeling positive about heading down to Geelong and we've got so much energy at being round one. So, you know, being able to hit the road and travel while we've still got that energy and it's not the middle of the season, I think is actually a really good thing. Um, and I hope that we can, you know, put a win on the board and sing the song for the first time in 18 months. It'd be great. Thank you very much for your time. No worries, thank you. And joining us here at the VFLW Media Launch Day, the captain of the Darabin Falcons in Steph Simpson. Steph, let me ask you, how does it feel to have that word next to your name, captain, at such a club that's had many prestigious captains over the years? Yeah, look, it's, it's an honour. It's uh, definitely a privilege and something that I'll look back on when I finally finish my career and, yeah feel lucky that I've had the opportunity to do that after such big names like Daisy Pierce and Elise Day, and not to mention all the other role models that I've had a chance to play with and under in the past. So, yeah. It's Can you talk about that Darabin standard that has been set over the years? And, and we know that Darabin style of play going back years before the AFLW, structure and discipline. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's something that we'd like to continue on today um, with that culture of like really super competitive, but also an inclusive environment where you get the best out of yourself. Um, it's something that we pride ourselves on and yeah, hopefully we can continue on that on this year. It probably gives a window of opportunity this year to Darabin where unlike in the years gone past, such as 2019, which was a tough year, you were up against uh, sites that had AFLW talent and because the AFLW season was over, they got to drop back in, flood their sides and it made the comp a bit lopsided. This time around, at best, there'll be only a handful of AFLW players at those other sides. So it's almost back to the old days, pure VFLW talent against each other. Certainly opens the window of opportunity for you. Yeah, definitely. I think the league will be a whole lot um, more even this time around. Um, obviously, eventually the AFLW players will come back, but what that looks like, it's hard to tell from here. So, yeah, looking forward to it either way. Let's talk about your notable players for the for the year. Uh, the big recruit that you've got is from the VU Western Spurs, Alyssa Mifsud, been around for a number of years, strong key forward. Yeah, she's slotted in really well, and um, she's just um, been named as part of our leadership group. So she's really come in and 
stamped her place up forward and um, yeah, the girls love her and uh, yeah, can't wait to see her out there in the forward line. Other players that you've managed to pick up, uh, pardon me, uh, other players I should mention that are notables that have been part of your squad for a, a number of years, Jenna Lawson Tavern, you talk about Samara David who originally had come across from the Hawks a, a couple of years ago, Ashley Gunn in the side, so you've got some quality players in there, sure they might not be the big household names, but they've been consistent performers across the years. Yeah, definitely, look, Jenna's been on our list for a number of years and she's still quite young and she's our vice captain this year so her experience will be invaluable in our back line and um, Sammy David's had a huge pre-season and um, yeah I can't wait to see her out there on uh, wherever she ends up playing because uh, we can throw her anywhere pretty much. And the big thing that's been for Darabin over the last couple of years and this is after all the what we call the originals on the 2-5 flags being picked up the AFLW is you still keep sending players to the AFLW we talked about the Nell Morris Daltons for example, we talk about the most recent draft, Georgia Hammond getting her shot at North Melbourne. Yeah look, oh, yeah, super proud of her and super proud of everyone that's been able to yeah, have that pathway but um, our pathways continue on all through Darabin this year. We've got four players that have come through our 2019 Youth Girls Premiership side. They've um, got a spot on our list this year and then we've got about four players who've come up from our Division 1 side who've also managed to get a spot on our list. So, yeah, like our pathways is one of the things we pride on and hopefully we can get some more drafted to the AFLW in the future. And with that pathway, you picked up a number of players, as we know, through the years coming from the Northern Knights program. Yes, definitely. And also another one um, that we've got this year is Pepper Poltney. Um, she's from Calder, but she's been playing for Darabin for the youth girls since it started. So I'm hoping she can be <laughs> one of the first ever players that's played from the very first start of youth girls all the way through to AFLW. So... Fingers crossed. I don't want to put too much pressure on her, <laughs> but that would be a great story. And finally, before we let you go, um, first up, you got Williamstown on a Sunday out at Latrobe Beauty. Uh, as much as we don't really keep score during a practice game because the magnets get thrown around, it was a close contest. So that's got to give you a little bit of a hope that you can probably get a, a win away early on the board. Yeah, I think it's really going to be a really great game. They brought it to us at the practice game, and um, yeah, once we get our top 21 players on the field. I think we'll have a real chance of putting it to them, but yeah, looking forward to Sunday. Well, Steph, all the best to you and the Darabin Falcons for the 2021 season. Awesome, thank you. Got Samantha Johnson here from the Casey Demons with us. Firstly, Sammy, last 18 months have not been the easiest for anyone in Victoria. How have you maintained your skills and fitness and all that during the lockdowns and all that? Yeah, well, first of all, it's definitely been challenging for everyone. Um, not being involved in sport for the last year. I was lucky enough to be part of an AFLW program last year, so it's only been about 12 months for me. Um, I suppose I was running every day. My fiance, Leon, he was extremely motivating for me, um, so he helped me keep my fitness up. We are doing at-home gym programs as well together, which was really, really nice. Um, but yeah, any opportunity that I had to go for a run or to do some weights with him uh, really helped me sort of stay physically fit, I suppose. Um, but definitely lost that footy fitness as well. Um, it's very different doing things from home. Uh, 2019, just missed the finals. What, what have you guys been working on to take that next step and make the top six for this year? Yeah, so I'm actually new to Casey this season, which is really, really exciting. Um, we've also got about 80% of the list are new girls, so we're a relatively new squad. Um, for us, that's really exciting. There's a lot of young girls that are coming through um, that all bring something very different to the side. 
I suppose for us, our main focus has been really moving the ball forward and using the speed that we've got. Um, but yeah, it would be really interesting to see. We're definitely pushing for finals. That's the expectation that we've set ourselves and something we'd like to strive for, being a young group. But we're gelling really well together, so it'd be really exciting to see how we go this year. Um, oh, during the off-season, you, you've picked up players like Grace Bucken, but who's someone that's been training the house down that the fans haven't seen or, yeah, haven't seen a lot on the field? Yeah, it's funny you say that. I was actually talking to Pete, my coach, before about Eliza West. Um, so she's a basketballer that's just come across to football. She's going to be really exciting to watch. She's young. She's young, sorry. She's got a great attitude, um, really good work ethic. Um, I think she's going to be somebody who's really going to take off this season with a lot of guidance from the older players. Um, she's definitely got the right attitude and the right goal about her. Um, so she's somebody that I'm definitely really excited to see this season. Uh, the interesting element with the seasons lining up this year is you'll probably have those Melbourne players coming back to play in your side. So how's that going to change the system or improve even or just affect in general? Yeah, so we're obviously well aware that once the AFLW season's over, there's going to be some girls coming down to play for us. Um, we're actually really excited about it. We do have a young group at the moment and a lot of girls that are still learning the game. So it'd be really good to bring that extra experience back into the side. Um, I'd like to think we gel pretty well with the AFLW girls. So for us, it'll be really, really exciting to have that extra experience come down. And it's another learning opportunity for the girls that are probably newer to the sport of football. Um, definitely so many learning opportunities there. So it's exciting. And finally, round one, Carlton, what... What do you guys need to do to, to beat the Blues and get the first win of the season? Yeah, so for us, it's probably going to be more a pressure-style game for us. We really want to put the pressure on them early, um, a lot of that being physicality, I suppose. We've got a lot of run in our, in our young girls especially, so um, forward pressure is going to be a big one for us. We really want to keep the ball in our forward 50 as much as we can, um, but around the ground, winning the contest and being really physical. Thanks for your time and good luck for the year. No worries, thank you very much. And joining us now, the captain of the Weemstown Football Club in Erin Mead. First of all, how does that title now sit with you? You are now captain of Weemstown. It's a pretty awesome title, to be honest. It's not something that I had expected or could foresee, but um, no, I like it. I'm running with it and it's, it's, an, it's a wonderful honour to be captain of Willie, that's for sure. For you, what have the last 18 months been look like as Victorians we went through this unusual period of... It was February last year, exactly 12 months ago. We're all keyed up. We're ready for another season. And then our world got flipped upside down. Yeah, that was pretty crazy. Last year um, was tough to get through, um, but we had a wonderful group of girls that were into doing Zoom workouts online and getting together when we could. So that's really helped us kind of elevate ourselves into the 21 season that we've been able to really keep that momentum rolling through, even through the lockdowns. Now, one key thing for Weemstown, though, compared to other clubs, a number of your players have been up in the NT. They have been, you're exactly right. So um, a few were lucky to jet off in kind of October, November last year, did quarantine in Darwin and joined some of the local clubs up there and it's done wonders for their footy. So they've come down and um, they're looking really fit and firing and ready to go. What has that also done for the recruitment of the Williamstown Football Club and trying to strengthen some ties with those Darwin clubs to try and hint to some of that talent, hey, wintertime, come on down to Melbourne? Yeah, you're exactly right. So we've got um, another three girls that have just signed with us from the NT so of course we'll wait till they finish their finals campaign they should be down in Melbourne in April 
Um, so it's pretty fantastic. It's a wonderful kind of um, relationship that we've built with the NT and hopefully we can keep it going for a few more years. Let's talk about the better players that you've got this year. Obviously, you've got returning the likes of Megan Williamson, Eliza Strafford as well, Sasha Long. So it's good that you've managed to, first of all, retain some core players in previous campaigns. Yeah, exactly right. Megan's looking fantastic. She spent a lot of her lockdown back in Swan Hill and then also up in Darwin, so she's looking great. Eliza has been elevated to vice-captain, so she's really taken um, a role forward with her leadership and her on-field game. And of course, Sasha, she's as fit as anything, and I think she's really looking forward to getting out there. Also, I notice Alana Dickey. Now, she's going to be a playing coach for you. Alana actually has a very good pedigree in WA football. She won a number of premierships with Swan Districts, was in the coaching game herself there. As we said, going to be a playing assistant coach, I believe, in the back line for the Seagulls. That's exactly right. So she will coach us on kind of our Monday nights where it's a bit more recovery and fundamental skills. And then when she's on the field, she's playing in a backline role, and she is absolutely brilliant. Brilliant. Great to have that key back down there, providing a lot of voice and leadership for everyone on field. And finally, one other name I find there, an Irish woman, Amanda Magan out of the St Kilda Sharks. She is awesome. She stands almost six foot tall. You can't understand a word she says because she talks so fast, but she's fantastic. She played with us yesterday in our last practice game and really showed that she's got uh, what it takes to really be a key back for the VFL comp. And how about first up, Sunday, Latrobe University versus Darabin. You've got the Chockeys over them in a practice game. Yes, it doesn't count because no premiership points in a practice game. But you've got the confidence that you've beaten them. And an early win, particularly after a tough 2019, will do the confidence a lot of good, I suspect. That is true. So hopefully we can get the chocolates again. It's nice returning to a familiar ground. We played the same ground in a pracky game a few weeks ago. So it should be a bit more comfortable for the girls out there. And I know that that will be an interesting psychology for Williamstown this year because you'll be playing at least for the first half of the season your game's away because your home ground's actually being redone as we speak. Yep. If you're able to, as we say, like maintain a 50-50 level on your win-loss ratio, you come into a back half of season back-loaded with home games. Yeah, so true. So hopefully we can um, hit, hit the strides early in the away games. And then, like you said, if we're at a 50-50, that's a massive win for us and we'll hit the ground running in the second half of the season. Erin, congratulations again on the captaincy and all the very best for the 2021 campaign. Thank you kindly. And joining us here is the uh, co-captain of the Southern Saints, a familiar voice to us, one Frankie Hocking. Frankie, congratulations on the co-captaincy. Thank you very much. It's, a, it's an honour to, to share it with some other great leaders in Tara and, and uh, DJ as well. So, yeah, we're very, we're very privileged that the girls voted us in as, as their co-captains. How's it felt this last 18 months, not only for yourself, but you also had the likes of uh, Valerie Moreau and uh, Nicole Robinson from Canada. You're on the other side of the world, you're in Australia at the moment, and then we lost everything in this state last year. What's it been like trying to get through that and then rebuild yourselves to finally a season again? Yeah, I think um, for us guys that are, are internationals, it's been um, a bit of a, a reality check of why you come to Australia in the first place. Um, so I think our hunger and our passion to want to play in 2021 is, is going to be through the roof. Like we're, we're the three of us, are, and we've also got Ashley and Curly as well with yes, us. Um, yes. So the four of us really are all kind of striving and really wanting to excel and, and showcase Aussie rules, but also the foundations that we've got from our, our home backgrounds. We actually think about that. Moreau and Curley, both of them vicious at the ball, both great tagging type players in your side. Yeah, but I, I tell you that they're better when they don't even have to tag somebody. That, they've got their own special um, uniqueness and their own skill set that I think um, 
I'm hoping that 2021 people will actually see another side to their game and, and really they'll be able to explode out of the blocks and showcase what they can really do. Can you explain, I guess, logistically, what, what's the difference for the Saints this year? Because the management of the Southern Saints changed. Instead of being out of Moorabbin where the St Kilda Football Club looks after the side, through its alignment, you actually now looked after by Sandringham at Trevor Barker Beach Oval. Yeah, for sure. And Sandy have been fantastic. They, they open us with... Um, welcome us with open arms sorry and they have been nothing but superb in the way that they've managed this situation transitioning between using Moorabbin and now down at Trevor Barker Oval um yeah the support's great we've um we've obviously had our practice games there the last couple of weekends as well and um yeah we're just we're just really fortunate to still have such a great network around us um, even moving out of Moorabbin and on that as much as it's, it's not for premiership points. It's still a nice morale-boosting win that you had over Williamstown on the weekend to warm up for round one, including a five-goal first turn. Yeah, yeah, five-goal first turn. We, we, we got out the blocks real quick. Um, I think that's something that we're going to be aiming, for, aiming to do, but also to continue that through a little bit harder. Um, we're a little bit disappointed that we, we hit five behind as well. Um, so I think, yeah, between between sort of getting ourselves settled into our lines a little bit more comfortably as the season goes on, I think, um, yeah, morale-boosting pre-season wins always help you and definitely enable you to sort of see what type of football you're going to play. And finally, before we let you go, have you been pestered by your GB Swans teammates back home of, well, when's your game going to be screened, you know? When, when, when can we watch your game? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. I think they're all itching at the moment because they're obviously in lockdown back at home that they're um, they're desperate for something on the TV again. So they've all been tuning into AFLW games and um, I've been giving them some insight as to what's happening our, our way. Uh, I mean, I was very jealous when we had the major lockdown in Melbourne because they were still able to train and they were yeah. doing little mini tournaments and stuff like that back at home. So I guess the shoe's on the other foot this time and we were able to get out there and play and, and hopefully we'll entertain people at home as well as over here in Oz. Well, Frankie, congratulations again on the co-captaincy and all the best for the 2021 season. Thank you very much. We've got George and Nanscorn here from the Etherton Football Club. Firstly, Georgia, the last 18 months have not been easy for any of us here in Melbourne. How have you guys um, maintained morale, fitness, skills and all of that with the in and out of lockdowns we've had in the last however many months? Yeah, it's certainly been a, a challenging 18 months that I don't think anyone could have really predicted. And um, yeah, I, I think uh, initially there was a lot of disappointment that the season didn't get up last year. And so it was important for us to keep rem morale pretty high. And we, we kept in contact with uh, you know Zooms and, and Facebook groups. And um, I think as the year went on, it was uh, you had to rely a little bit more on self-discipline uh, to try to get you through and I guess create a bit of competition with yourself and and um, try to think look at some positives through the year of maybe doing things that you couldn't do else um, you know at a season when football went on so um, you know for myself it was challenging myself with my running and um, and and cycling and and I know for a few of the other girls as well yeah trying to tick off some of those um, those other challenges but uh, it's great to be back as a group now and um, the excitement certainly building towards the start of the season. Uh, in 2019, just missed the finals. Um, what do you guys need to do to take that next step and make the finals? Yeah, I think um, 2019, we probably, yeah, we were a little unlucky. Um, we had a number of close games which could have gone either either way. And if we'd um, 
you know, maybe finished a little stronger in those games, we, we'd be in the finals. We had a great end to the season. So trying to keep a little bit of that momentum, even though I think all momentum's gone now, but um, trying to let that flow through. And we knew, knew that we were really capable of some good football. Um, yeah, I think for us, as I said, there were some really close finishes that, that could have gone either way. And it's maybe just that little bit more experience, um, which we, we now have as a group. Uh, and I guess the belief that we can win those games against quality oppositions. And I think um, we're certainly building that now and have the confidence in our game to, to get over the line in those um, tight situations. Yeah, you've got some key players like Courtney Eagle, Kendra Hall, Mary Clifford, is, who's a huge inclusion. What's uh, what's the inclusion of Mary been like? And also, who's someone that has been training really well over the preseason that fans can look out for in 2021? Yeah, Mia's been huge for us um, the last couple of months since she's come across to Essendon. Obviously, she brings a lot of experience with her, um, having played with a number of AFLW clubs. Um, her voice, we have a very young group, and so her voice amongst that group um, is, is excellent for us. And um, she showed on on Thursday night when we had a practice match and, and kicked a whole bag of goals. So um, having her in the forward line and that extra danger up there for us uh, is incredibly important. Um, I think looking out uh, this year, Alana Barber's been, been really good in the pre-season, um, probably one to be pretty unlucky to miss the draft the last couple of years. So she um, certainly looks like she's got a bit of a point to prove and has been um, training well and probably a bit more midfield time as well will um, hopefully look look for her to have a really good season. Speaking of the practice match, you did get a win over the Falcons. No premiership points, score doesn't really matter, but what kind of things did you guys take away from that game? Yeah, I, I guess going into it, there was a, a really huge unknown, um, having not done anything for so long and being the first hit out uh, as a group and um, a, a chance to put some of the structures that we've been training in place. And um, I think it was incredibly encouraging for us to, to have quite a convincing win and, and more so for, for it to look really good. Things were flowing nicely um, and considering we we haven't played together as a group before, that was uh, certainly very encouraging for us. Um, you know, we know coming up this weekend St Kilda is going to be a really great challenge. It's probably going to be a bit of a different looking game, but I think we can certainly take confidence uh, from our practice match that things are, are, yeah, are heading in the right direction for us. Speaking of the weekend, you, you do have the Saints first up. Um, what what do you need to do to beat the Saints and get the first win of the year? Look, it, in terms of opposition, it's a really huge unknown. Uh, it, it, I think all the teams, you're not really sure what you're looking at until, until you turn up. Uh, going off their previous season, they, they were very strong and had some um, pretty key forwards that... We, we struggled to, to cope, I think, a little bit with their size. Um, we, we need to play our game. We know as a team we're very even across the board and, and we don't rely on one single person to do everything. So I think having that consistency uh, across the whole field um, and, you know, we, we're a team that prides ourselves on our tackling pressure and being really hot on the ball and, and maybe now with a little bit more finesse uh, coming coming from last season, I think um, if we can bring that, that pressure, it'll it'll um, set us up really well for winning the game. Thanks for your time, Georgia, and good luck for the season. Thank you. And joined here by the captain of the Port Melbourne Borough, 
We know her from Scoresby, from Knox, from the Hawks. And now she finds herself wearing the red and blue. It's great to have Dutchie herself, Melissa Kyes. How are you, Dutchie? Yeah, very good, thank you. How are you? Not too bad at all. How do you find yourself here in a historic club at Port Melbourne leading their first ever VFLW side? Uh, Lockie Harris is probably the right man. Um, <laughs> obviously know him from the Pies. Um, yeah. And, yeah, just good relationship there and um, decided to come down and have a look at a training session and, yeah, just decided that this was probably the right place for me. Let's talk a little bit about trying to find here because it was covered, obviously, in the Inner Sanctum in this uh, fantastic long piece which talked about, which, which is a hard reality for a number of women that will go through their AFLW career, and that is the delisting will come around where you're told, we're sorry, there's only so many spots. For you, you're having to go through that journey. Um, I believe you're doing a train-on with Richmond and helping out there. What's it been for you trying to rebuild that confidence and commitment to say, yes, I want to go again and play football at the highest possible standard? Yeah, it's a tough one. Obviously, um, being delisted is not fun and um, it does take its toll a little bit. Um, but the love for footy that I have and the passion that I have, um, I want to give it another crack and I think that I can. It's just whether or not that opportunity can come. or And if it doesn't, I've decided that, you know, that's okay. Um, I want to give back to, the, to football and... Um, even if I don't get that opportunity, being here at Port and helping these younger ones grow, even at the Tigers, when I can help help them be the best they can, yeah, I'm quite passionate. So, Can you talk about that invaluable knowledge that you have, that intellectual property of being at a VFLW team that starts from scratch? Because you did it with the Hawks when they were actually known as Box Hill in that first year when, uh, obviously, Knox handed over the licence, your old club, and then, of course, you went under Paddy Hill in the first year at Box Hill. Yeah, it's funny, actually, that it's a similar scenario, I guess. Um, and I loved my time at Box Hill and Hawthorne. Um, yeah, so it is, it's a similar situation, um, and I thrive off, I guess, the underdog and the unknown. Um yeah, it's, it's definitely a challenge, but definitely one that I'm willing to take on board, and so is the club, and we're really excited to start the season next, next week. By having Lockie Harris as your coach, who is also a list manager and a lot behind the scenes at Collingwood and then at Williamstown, so that's helped uh, build the IP and the networks of players that you can bring in, and you've built up an impressive list so far. The first one that starts off is Bridie Kennedy, former TAC Cup co-best and Ferris with Chloe Malloy, to have someone of that standard immediately in your team. Yeah, she brings... She's, she's a young player, but she's got a really, really... Um, I guess she's, she's, she's older than she really is. She's really, really great leader of the club. She's a younger player um, and she's got great talent and um, she's always training. She's always 100% at training and she's always trying to push others as well. So um, we're super excited to have her at the club and obviously having that relationship. Um, yeah, it's, it's exciting. You've got a sprinkling of experienced VFLW talent in there. Pip Pepsky, obviously, was at the Hawks. Courtney Bramage, who was formerly at Carlton. Lisa Davey, who was formerly at Richmond. Yeah, I guess um, Lockie is very, very good with words and um, has done his research. Um, and obviously, we are a fresh club coming in. And like, maybe there are a couple girls out there that just wanted a fresh start. And, um, yeah, we have a really great 
culture and vibe here. Um, Port Melbourne's always been a historic club and very successful in the men's program. So why wouldn't you come play at Ford, I guess? <laughs> what were the lessons you were able to take away from that practice game on the weekend against the Casey Demons? Um, I think we, we had a pretty good hit out. Um, quite surprised we gelled so quickly um, and we had a fast start. Um, we capitalised when we went forward. Um, it was quite impressive. Um, but then, obviously, Melbourne, um, with their pressure football, they came back into the game and um, made it an even even spread for the next couple of quarters and then we were able to, I guess, just wrestle right to the end there. So um, pretty happy with the first, the first uh, hit out just to see where we are at and where we can improve and um, what we're doing well and what we're not. And uh, finally, uh, how early will you be setting the alarm clock on Saturday? You're kicking the dew off the grass, 10 a.m. at Hutton Street Oval versus North Melbourne. Yeah, it, it's an early one. Um, not my ideal time to start playing <laughs> footy, um, but obviously we'll be getting up. I'm, I'm one that needs repair pretty, pretty early, so I think I'll be getting up around 6.30, 7 o'clock. So I'll be having an early night, um, but super excited to start the season off and um, just glad that it's going ahead. Um, there was ifs and buts as to whether or not mm. that this was actually going to happen. So to know that it is, that's, yeah, it's really exciting. Well, Dutchie, congratulations again on the captaincy of Port Melbourne. Enjoy the final few days as the uh, butterflies start to go in the bellies that here we are after 18 months, we're finally away again with VFLW football. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So, again, they're the interviews with nine of the 12 VFLW clubs. Again, we apologise we weren't able to catch up with the captains of Geelong, Carlton and Hawthorne, who all had to uh, scoot early to their respective trainings. Let's have a look at the fixture for round one. At this stage, the VFLW fixture for 2021 is being released week by week as it's being guided by the AFLW fixture, which is also being released on a week-by-week basis. So we do know for round one, these will be the games. Saturday, 27th of February, North Melbourne versus Port Melbourne, 10 a.m. at Arden Street Oval, 12 p.m. at Deakin University, Warren Ponds. It's Geelong versus Collingwood. And also on the Saturday, 2 p.m. at Princess Park, it's Carlton versus the Casey Demons. 10 a.m. on Sunday at VU Witten Oval, it's the Western Bulldogs versus Hawthorne. 10.30 a.m. at The Hangar, which is Essendon's training facility at a Melrose Drive Tunnel Marine. It's Essendon versus the Southern Saints. At 11.30 a.m. at La Trobe University, Bundura, it is Darabin versus Weemstown. Three of those six games you'll hear on RSN Carnival 2 Digital Radio via the RSN Racing and Sport app and WARFradio.com. From 9 a.m. on on Saturday, we'll bring you North Melbourne versus Port Melbourne. And then just before the 2pm bounce, we'll bring you Carlton versus the Casey Demons. And then on the Sunday from 9am, we'll bring you coverage of the Western Bulldogs versus Hawthorne. Again, on RSN Carnival 2, digital radio by the RSN Racing and Sport app and WARFradio.com. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at alnf.org.
You're listening to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival. Now, before we get to our interviews with Tani Gossolano and Rennie Hicks, just a quick look at the State League competitions in South Australia and Queensland. They're kicking off this weekend. Uh, round one of the Sandville Statewide Super Women's League kicks off Friday night, February 26th, 6pm local time at Cooper Stadium as part of a doubleheader. It's North Adelaide versus South Adelaide. The grand final rematch followed immediately afterwards at 7.45 by Norwood versus West Adelaide. Uh, on Saturday, uh, the 27th of February at Exconvenience Oval, they kick the jaw off the grass at 10 past 10 in the morning with Sturt versus Glenelg and then Central District versus the Eagles at 11.55am. Across to the uh, Queensland Australian Football League Women's Competition, round one, Saturday, February 27th, all games. 2pm uh, at Bond University, the Bull Sharks play host to Marucci Door. 2pm uh, at Wilston Granger's Hickey Park, it's the Gorillas playing host to to the UQ Red Lions, 4.45pm at Giffen Park. It's Cooparoo versus Apsley. And also at 4.45pm down at Leishon Park, uh, the Premiers, the Yoronga South Brisbane Devils, they play host to Coolangatta Tweed in a grand final rematch. WAFL Women's Footy Report. Round one of the WAFL Women's for 2021 is in the book. And for Subiaco, it was a close one against South Fremantle on the weekend. Just getting over the line by three points. And it's great to have on the line the victorious captain in Tani Golisano. Tani, how are you? Good, thank you. Thanks so much for having me today. I hope there's not many uh, grey hairs on the head after that uh, close one against the Bulldogs. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, look, it was um, a very tight game towards the end there. Uh, the fourth quarter really tested our girls out and um, gave us, South Korea gave us a little bit of a challenge and we had to try and hold on to the end. Um, but yeah, very happy to get the four points on the board. In one way, it's probably the best way to start the season and st- as much as everyone would like a nice one-sided game, a close one just kind of wakes everyone up of, hey, we're on, you know, season started. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think um, the competition's changed a lot this year. Obviously, um, we don't have all of our AFLW girls in any of the Waffle W sides. So um, I think the competition is anyone's game and you can't really expect an easy game against anybody this year. Um, So it was nice to have a a tight game to start with and sort of see where we're at and where we need to be. You just raised an excellent point then, and it's obviously going to affect all the other competitions that have moved early, such as the Victorian League, which is doing the same thing, kicking off uh, this weekend. Um, How's it been without those AFLW players for Subiaco, and I guess it also applies to the other teams, trying to find those experienced players to be able to um, go along with obviously the under-18 talent that's coming through and those that are coming up from community football? Yeah, look, I think it's a fantastic opportunity for other girls to be able to step up. Um, we've gained um, some girls from other sports and also from our amateur league in WA. Um, so I think it's a really good opportunity to get those girls immersed into the Waffle W environment. Um, I suppose a little bit more of an elite environment from where they might have been and um, giving a lot of girls an opportunity to play some league footy if they might have been playing reserves previously. Um, so I think it's working really well, um, challenging some girls, but also giving other girls a bit of an opportunity to step up and um, start playing some league footy. How was it coming into this first game against South Fremantle when we consider 35-degree heat and you're also coming off uh, an interrupted preseason? As we know, uh, just a few weeks ago, we had that Perth lockdown for five days. Yeah, yeah look, I think um, our, our support staff prepared us really well for the weather. Um, we, we were well aware that it was going to be a hot one out there. 
Um, we've been training as well in some hot weather, so we've had a pretty good preparation leading up to it. We did all the things during the game, um, pre-game, post-game, uh, to keep our bodies, I suppose, right for the weather. Um, little bit of an interrupted pre-season. However, it didn't hold us too much, only having the five days. Um, we were sent out programs and girls did their bit at home. So I think we we're well prepared for the conditions. Uh, again, it's just, you know, first game, getting back into it. Bodies are a little bit more lethargic and things like that. But um, I think we did quite well considering the conditions. Well, if we look at the first half, you were in control at halftime. Three goals four to two goals two. Close game at that stage. You're up by eight points. And then the tail of two different quarters in that second half. Possibly you could have put them away in the third term. It was in the end seven scoring shots to zero, but it was one goal six that you kicked. And then they saw the door open and came back in that uh, final term. They scored three goals two. Your three behinds were enough to, to push you over the line in the end. Uh, first of all, taking a reflection back on that third quarter, was it just a case of um, South Fremantle's pressure or maybe just a little bit of rust from the girls first game in? Yeah, look, I think um, there was definitely parts of the game where we really um, had some fantastic uh, bits of footy and some really great ball movement. Um, again, just making the most of our scoring opportunities in that third quarter probably would have been uh, the best thing for us going forward. Um, all credit to South Frio, though. They put on a really tough fight, and um, when they had the footy, they were surging quite quickly and um, were lucky enough to get some quick goals in. So I think we just needed to put our put our foot on the pedal again and um, sort of get moving and expect that they were going to come hard for us. So um, I definitely think we had the involvement with the ball. We had it in our forward line um, quite a lot. It's just we didn't make the most of our opportunities and that might just be first game trying to uh, get the girls back into it and understand that everyone's up for a red-hot crack this year. How much do you think winning culture helps in a close victory like that? And I say winning culture, of course, before Subiaco, the long history of the side being the Coastal Titans prior, um, obviously having a lot of success against the South Fremantle side who had been struggling for success when it came to the WAFL um, Women's League or even precursor WAWFL, um, that you're able to know what to do to hang on in that tight situation where they probably haven't learnt yet how to finish the job and win the game. Yeah, look, I think, um, like I said before, it really is anybody's game this year. Um, obviously, lots of AFLW girls out of the game. Um, we can't expect teams to not be as strong as they used to be. A lot of a lot of teams have got a lot of new girls. And um, I just think for us, we're going into every game knowing that it's going to be a bit of a tough challenge. Um, again, we look at these sorts of things in training. What do we do when it's red time? What do we do when, you know, we're, we're just hanging in there and there's only a few minutes to go? So trying to lock in, lock the ball down, um, lock it in our forward line and do those sorts of things so that we can keep our score up on the scoreboard. Let's talk about your better players coming out of that game. Name best on ground for the day, Charlie Thomas. Yeah, Charlie Thomas, only young girl, um, fantastic player and I think she's going to do wonderful things this season. So I really look forward to playing alongside her um, heading into the rest of this season. Also named amongst the best, Jamie Harkin. Yeah, fantastic to have Jamie. Um, she's down in our back line. She's a really solid unit for us down there. Um, holds her position really well and is a fantastic play for us. So, again, really look forward to working with her this season. Also named amongst the best and chipping in with two goals, a known name, Maggie McLaughlin. Yeah, so we had Maggie fill in for us. Um, obviously hasn't yet um, had a debut for Fremantle Dockers, so we got to have her in our waffle side, which was fantastic. Um Really great player and good to have a nice tall forward down there um, for us to pick a couple of goals. So 
Hopefully um, she does get her opportunity in the AFLW this year. She's playing some good footy, but if not, we're very happy to have her at Subi. And Jamie Rust was also named in the best and managed to get on the scoreboard as well. Yeah, another girl who's come from um, amateur footy, so her first game in league, she really stepped up to the game. Um, she showed a lot of talent, and it's really exciting to see what she's going to do this season as well. So the first win's in the bank. Uh, you're up against the reigning premiers on Saturday night, 6 p.m. Yep. under lights against the Peel Thunder. Now, two thoughts coming into that uh, game. Of course, as we know, there's now streaming of WAFLW games, uh, obviously on their Facebook page uh, for one game, and the other game goes via the uh, West Australian website. Uh, you now have the advantage of being able to sit down and watch and study your competition beforehand. A, how much is that a help? Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, really appreciate the support that we're getting from everyone here in Western Australia. Being able to um, live stream a couple of games a week is fantastic. Um, gives us a little bit of an opportunity to have a look at what our the team that we're coming up against has done uh, the previous week. However, uh, we sort of want to stick to our game plan as well and play our sort of footy and not get too caught up in um, what the other teams are doing. Like you mentioned, really big game this weekend against uh, Peel. We're a completely different team. I'm sure they are a very different team. So I look forward to coming up against them on Saturday night. That's interesting because you do mention that, uh, you know, you're very, as much as they've still got some of their players like Phillips and uh, Bartlett in the side and, and uh, Ella Roberts, uh, they've changed over a number of players as well. Um, so how much can you use, I guess, the inspiration or, you know, the fire-up talk from what happened in the grand final that they got you to try and say, look, we owe them one coming into this Saturday night? Yeah, look, like I said, we've got a very different team this year. Um, a lot of the girls that did play in that grand final aren't playing um, this year, whether they might be AFLW players or they've chosen not to play. So I think the girls who did play in that grand final, they know how we felt on that day when we did lose that game. I'm just going to encourage them to use those emotions, use those feelings to get out there and maybe uh, have a bit of a different result this week. But um, obviously, premierships aren't won in round two, and um, if if it doesn't go our way, then we'll continue to push and we'll train hard and hopefully we'll get them next time. But I definitely think it's going to be a hard-fought-out game. Um, and, yeah, really look forward to getting out there on Saturday night against them. And personally, what do you think of this WAFLW Saturday night spotlight? Um, Peel had it uh, last week against East Fremantle and you've got it against Peel this week. Saturday night yep. football. Um, and when it comes to East Coast time, when we line that up, you're literally coming on after the last AFLW game every Saturday. Yeah, look, I think over in WA, it's fantastic time. It gives a lot, um, a lot of girls an opportunity to come down and watch whether they play at other teams or maybe they're just interested in footy in general. Um, it's a really great time for us. It's a really good atmosphere generally under light. Um, and obviously, you guys having it available after an AFLW game is probably fantastic lead into um, another game of footy that they can watch. Well, Tani, thank you very much for joining us here. We wish you and Subiaco all the very best as you take on Peel Thunder, the grand final rematch, Leaderville Oval, 6pm this Saturday night under lights. Excellent. Thank you very much, Peter, for your time. So recapping the results of round one of the West Australian Football League women's competition on Saturday night, the reigning premiers, Peel Thunder, 8 7 55.
easily took care of East from Adel 3-5-23. A close one on Sunday, as we alluded to earlier, South from Adel 5-4-34. Going down to Subiaco 4-13-37. And also a close one at Steel Blue Oval. Swan Districts 2-6-18, defeating Claremont 1-6-12. Looking ahead to round two action, it's Saturday night football, 6pm at Leaderville Oval, Subiaco versus Peel Thunder. The two games on the Sunday are South Fremantle versus Swan Districts, 9.30am local time at Fremantle Community Bank Oval. That game will be streamed via the West Australian website. And Claremont versus East Fremantle, 1pm local time at Revo Fitness Stadium. That game will be through the WAFL Facebook page. NTFL Women's Footy Report. And joining us on the line now, a woman that you know playing AFLW with Carlton. She's played in the VFLW for sides such as Diamond Creek and Darabin, but she's got a couple of new homes, not only in the VFLW, but right now up in Darwin. So how does a woman from Nathalia find herself up in the top end? Let's find out. We've got on the line from the Pike Queen Ants. It's great to have Rennie Hicks. Rennie, how are you? Yeah, great. Thanks, Peter. Good to be on. So the question is, when did you decide, like a few others in the NTFL Women's Premier League, to be, I guess, the Victorian refugees escaping the uh, lockdowns that we had here and getting up to Darwin? <laughs> um, well, yeah, obviously in November, kind of, I was back home in the failure, not really doing too much, just working and thought, yeah, may as well give it a go. I'd thought about going up to Darwin um, last year and then yeah obviously sadly with COVID and everything um, thought that there was no better chance to come up and see what all the talk was about playing up in Darwin. It's a very interesting thing and we're starting to see as a result of this season where there have been a lot of Victorians up in NT that the Victorian clubs and the NT clubs are now kind of behind the scenes starting to make uh, formal arrangements thinking this is a great way for some instead of doing pre-season to actually get proper match fitness by playing up there in the top end. Uh, for yourself, who did you reach out to and how did it, it come down to the eventual decision that you'd play for the Pint Club? Yeah, well, I knew a couple of girls up here. So I'm living with one of the girls um, who plays at Pint and she's from Nefalia as well. So she's been up here for a couple of years now and, yeah, reached out to her and got um, Ricky Nolan contact who's the coach for the women's and yeah just went from there had a few uh, phone calls and yeah told him how I was interested in coming up and yeah he helped me make that happen. Now as we know it can get warm at times in central Victoria uh, particularly around the Goulburn Valley but nothing quite as like as the humidity up there in Darwin so initially going up there and arriving around October November um, first of all a how did you find uh, the quarantine up there and and then B how did you find getting used to playing uh, football in hot but humid conditions which can make the ball slippery yeah well I was um, a bit different to some of the other girls because I was coming from regional Victoria, I waited a couple more weeks until I didn't have to quarantine. Um, so I'm not sure if that was good or bad in the end because I got chucked straight into training and everything in the heat. So, yeah, my first session was um, yeah definitely one to remember. It was very hot and, yeah, I struggled to get through, but I'm glad I did and, yeah, 
simply, yeah, feeling a lot better playing up there now. How are you finding it adjusting to that style of NT football? As much as you played at the top level with Carlton in the AFLW, as we know, Victorian football is a lot more structured, a lot more contested ball, whereas in the NT, particularly because there's quite a number of Indigenous footballers in the competition, it's very much a running game, run and spread, use the full ground, and it's a large ground, particularly at TIO Stadium. How did you find adjusting to that? Yeah, it has taken a bit because um, my normal game style, I'm more the in and under player. So, yeah, the one at the bottom of the pack trying to get it out to the runners. So, yeah, it has been simply different game style up here. A lot of the girls just have that natural ability, know where the ball is, can run all day. So, yeah, it's taken a bit to adjust, but I think it's definitely helped my game because I've more been a defender back home and, yeah, that in and under kind of player. So it's helped me with my attacking game and, um, yeah, getting that outside run and everything. But, yeah, it's simply a different style to back home. Like the girls up here, yeah, it's just crazy some of the abilities that they have. Let's talk about culture of success because you've been in a number of clubs that have been, um, uh, if not winning premierships, at least at the higher end of the table, have always been there at, at the business end. First of all, you were at Diamond Creek in 2017, uh, that year which they built up from missing the finals to making the grand final. You were at Carlton through 2018-2019, again, building up from missing the finals to making a grand final. And then, of course, you spent some time in 2019 at the Darabin Falcons, as we know, with their long run of success over the years. You come into Pint, and Pint hadn't had much success, and now here they are going through an undefeated season. Are the things that you can see behind the scenes from your experience in those other clubs in Victoria that you see, yes, they've got this culture of success down pat? Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I've never really kind of been at a club quite like Pint. So it's pretty amazing. Like All the girls were so welcoming when I first came up. And um, I think it's just that respect amongst um, the playing group and the coaches. It doesn't matter who's in that side on the weekend. We all know what we want to, like, our game plan. We all are on the same page. And, yeah, just all working towards that same goal. So I think, yeah, it doesn't matter who pulls on the jumper on that day. It's everyone works for each other on the same page, yeah, wanting to achieve that same goal. Let's talk about the differences between round 17 and round 18, the two final rounds of the year. Now, as much as you're playing those sides, um, they will qualify for the finals as well. They were dead rubber games. They actually don't really mean anything to the latter positions. We know who's going to play who in the finals, and you were definitely having the week off. That round 17 game against the Darwin Buffets, they gave you a run for your money. It was a close game. And then, of course, as we saw on the weekend just gone, um, a big, big statement win over St Mary's, 12-18, to just the two goals. Can you talk about what was said during the week after that Darwin Buffett's close one to essentially just putting away St Mary's with ease this previous weekend? Yeah, yeah. well, going into training, we kind of said, obviously, yeah, it wasn't going to change where we finished on the ladder, but we wanted to, yeah, show a message, prove messages, why we finished on top and what we want to do in finals. We didn't want to, yeah, take it easy and, 
yeah, be going into finals as if we've already got it in the bag. We wanted to show that each week we're going to turn up and play, give our best and, yeah, we want to keep doing that through finals. So that last game, yeah, we wanted to show why we're on top and that we mean business in finals time. Now, for you out of that game, uh, despite a, a cut to the head and getting a bit of claret, you were also named amongst the best players. So you must have been happy with your game and hitting form at the right time. Yeah, I've been yeah pretty happy with how I've been going towards the end of the season. Obviously, it took me a little while to um, find my feet up here with the different conditions, with the yeah heat and humidity and yeah different game styles. So I'm yeah, pretty happy with, yeah, how I'm going at the moment. And that's, yeah, thanks to the, all my teammates as well. They've really helped me get into the game style up here and things that I've needed to work on to do that. So, yeah, I was happy with how I finished and got a little bit of a scar from the weekend to prove it. <laughs> I'll get you to talk through a couple of players who had some good games on on the weekend. Uh, first of all, Gemma Kusak, who was named uh, Best on Ground. Yeah, so I've known Gemma for a long time. So she's from Nefalia, so that's my housemate up here. Um, and, yeah, she's been having a great year. She's, yeah, in previous years just played back line, but this year she's played forward in the midfield, yeah, down back as well. So she's, yeah, a great player to have on your team because the coach, yeah, can swing her anywhere that he needs depending on, yeah, the game we're playing. And uh, a couple of players got three goals each. That included uh, Jesse Bormer and Claudia Fabrice. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, we've got a pretty strong forward line and a lot of girls that can rotate through. But, um, yeah, just our full forward, she's, yeah, always strong each week, always in front, really good targets to have down there. And, yeah, then Claudia is our little sneaky, yeah, gets out the back or, yeah, front and centre off the um, ball coming in and just, yeah, knows how to find the goal. So she's a really exciting player to watch. So what's the philosophy for Pint coming into um, this next uh, period of of a week and a half or so? Uh, You finish top of the table. It's now a top five system, so you do get the week off. How's that being treated? Is everyone for this week coming into the bye essentially told don't worry about hitting the training track or is the plan to hit it hard to make up for not playing a game? What's the philosophy behind uh, the week off? Um, yeah, we're just trying to yeah take it like any other week. Um, still, yeah, training hard. We'll have a session on Saturday because we won't have a game. So just, yeah, having a session to kind of make up as if we are playing so that we're not... Um, yeah, getting behind, I guess, a week behind. But, yeah, nothing really changes for us. We're just going to keep doing what we've done all year and, yeah, carry that into our next game. I'm actually interested to know as well that um, because you actually had the night game, like you've had the last couple of weeks at TIO Stadium, um, that would technically allow you the opportunity through the afternoon to take a look at other games. Over the last couple of weeks, have you taken a look at the likes of Southern Districts, Darwin Buffets, Warrantar, etc., just to keep an eye on their game and how they're tracking, obviously, because some of them you will meet in the coming weeks? Yeah, absolutely. It has given us a chance to, um, yeah, have a watch and see how they go and how they're playing against other teams and stuff. But, um, yeah, we're watching them, but we're not trying to, 
yeah, focus too much on them. We know what our game plan is and our focuses. So, yeah, obviously having a bit of a look, but, yeah, trying not to pay too much attention to it and just, yeah, really focusing on what we want to do come finals. So all being well in about a month's time, you'll be coming back home to Victoria and you're going to be playing another VFLW season and you're with another club. You found a new home again. Uh, you're going to be playing with the North Melbourne Kangaroos. Um, how did that come about to switch over to North Melbourne? Um, yeah, that came about, um, yeah, from going from Carlson uh, and then, yeah, out of that system, joining Darabin. I, um, got the chance to do the train on position at North Melbourne um, and then yeah through training with their AFL team and getting to know all their coaches and yeah players I yeah decided to join the North Melbourne um, BFL so it will be yeah their first season in which is pretty exciting and yeah just speaking to the coaches there and obviously I would informed them that I wanted to play up here for a season and that if I was to come up, I'd want to stick out the um, whole season with them. So not leave early when finals started. And yeah, they were really supportive of that. And that's kind of what made my decision to stick with them. They were happy for me to come up here and yeah, play until I was yeah ready to come home. So yeah, they're being great support for me so that's why I yeah, decided to join yeah North Melbourne. Excellent and obviously they wouldn't have to worry about your training program during that time because you're obviously training and you're obviously playing up there but uh, what type of communication do they actually have with you over I guess their pre-season while you're playing as in to at least keep you up to date with the group about what's happening and obviously what they've got as ideas for game plan, et cetera. So obviously when you come back, it, it's an easiest possible transition into the side. Yeah, that's it. It's been really important, that communication. So, um, yeah, I've been in contact with the coach quite a few times, um, joined a couple of their uh, Zoom meetings where we yeah, talk about the season to come and yeah different game plans and the game style that they want to play so I've been yeah joining in all those zoom meetings and yeah trying to obviously yeah keep on board with everything that they're covering so that yeah when I do come back down south I'll be able to fit in pretty quickly I won't have to hopefully won't have to yeah catch up on too much I'll be there ready to go Already, thank you very much for joining us. Congratulations again on the undefeated season through the home and away rounds for the Pint Majestic Queen Ant. And all the very best uh, after your week off when you then in week two commence your finals campaign. And safe travels for when you finally do come back home to Melbourne and uh, pull on the North Melbourne jumper in the VFLW. No worries. Thank you very much. Really appreciate the chat. So recapping the scores from the final round of the NTFL Women's Premier League. An upset Southern District 6-6-42 defeating the Darwin Buffets 
5-5-35. In the Battle of the Beaches, Waratah beat Nycliffe 6-2-38-3-3-21. The score we have from Tracy Village, according to the website, is Tracy Village, Razorbacks 1-4-10, defeating Wanderers, no score. And St Mary's, two straight 12, won no match for the Majestic Queen Ants, Pike 12-18-90. Palmerston having the bye in the final round. Finals football, Pike have the week off in the elimination final. It's Southern Districts versus Nightcliff. 12.15pm Saturday. That's local time at TAO Stadium. Immediately followed at 2.15pm local time by the Darwin Buffets versus St Mary's in the qualifying final at TAO Stadium. The winner of the Buffets and St Mary's meets Pint the following week. The loser of that game will play the winner of Southern Districts and Nightcliff. And that concludes the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast on RSN 927's digital radio channel Carnival for yet another week. This podcast is also available via your favourite podcast platform. Just search for Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or go to our website, warfradio.com. And don't forget to tune in to RSN Carnival 2. That's the other digital channel, RSN Carnival 2, or download the RSN Racing and Sport app and then just switch across to Carnival 2 this Saturday and Sunday. VFL Women's Football, we're bringing you three games, 9 o'clock on Saturday morning at Arden Street Oval, North Melbourne versus Port Melbourne, 2 p.m. at Princess Park. We bring you Carlton versus... Versus the Casey Demons, and then Sunday at 9am, it's the Western Bulldogs versus Hawthorne out there at Witten Oval. Three games of VFLW football this weekend on RSN Carnival 2. Keep up to date with all our news by going to our social media channels, Facebook, yes, we're still there on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, just put a slash at the end, and WARF Radio. And don't forget, you can also uh, download our podcast and stream our football coverage via WARFradio.com. Until next Wednesday at 6pm on RSN Carnival, I'm Peter Holden. Thanks again for listening to the Women's Australian Rules Football Podcast.